The following podcast contains adult language and subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Live from one secret basement, you're listening to episode 38 of the Quantum Leap Podcast, The Great <laughs> Spontini. There you go, there, there you go. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. While I'm leaping through time, I found myself in some pretty tight spots, but this was definitely the tightest. And now, for the Sword of Doom. I'm a magician. <laughs> Harry, I want a divorce. Bingo. Divorce? Margaret and I are engaged. We'd like to get the paperwork moving. Steve's also my attorney. Uh, watch your wallet, Sam. Here it comes. I think I'm here to reunite this family. Spontini never stopped loving Maggie, and, and I think she still loves him. I mean, you can see it in her eyes. She left him and the kids. She went off to school, got a real estate license. She started a whole new life. But she came back. To get a divorce. I don't think so. I think she came back because she still loves him. I don't want to live with her. No, it's only temporary. Until the hearing's over. Don't I have a choice? No, not in this one. But I'll be back here first thing in the morning. You know, I figured out where we're blowing that table of death illusion. The judge says you can't come to the club. Didn't you tell him you needed it for the act? He doesn't think that a nightclub is this good place for a young girl to be working. <laughs> is he nuts or something? I mean, I'm learning a trade. He wants you in a real home. That's why I'm taking you to your mother's in two hours. We can run away. I can pack. If we don't show up, the police will throw me in jail and you'll end up at your mother's anyway. Harry, don't let them take me away. Why, why do they call it the table of death? Because two guys have died doing it. Two guys have died? Mm. You're better than them, Harry. <laughs> Sam, it's Jamie. What about Jamie? She's trying to do that table of death trick. Yeah, and if you don't do something about it, she's going to die. Ziggy says you got 14 minutes. Help! Help! Welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. I'm... I'm Juan. And I'm... <laughs> I'm Gabe. <laughs> I was almost Gabe. <laughs> we could be Gabe. We could do that. Oh man, we have a great show on this episode of Quantum Leap Podcast. We have Dan Birch, magic consultant, uh, and also man in the mirror, just like Michael. And uh, of course, 
some special guest hosts, Gabe and Juan, from Thinking Outside the Long Box I'm podcast. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, swears. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be another great episode of Quantum Leap Podcast, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thinking Outside the Long Box has invaded the Quantum Leap Podcast. If you like this show, check them out at TOTLB.com. I feel like you invaded our podcast. Like you're I might have. You're, <laughs> you're in my house. We, Beep. we are. We're in your studio. Thank you. Studio. <laughs> hey, man. It's got this mics. This is the closest got, thing to a, a studio we're going to get. It's, it's got, got a soundboard. It's got me. Uh, you know Juan. He's our producer and our I don't know if guy. people do know me. You read I the mean, feedback? Yeah. He's the guy that reads the feedback. There's one guy who drove me away from the show, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know, you know Gabe, you, <laughs> you haven't been listening to Thinking Outside the Long Box and you need to start at the beginning, right? Yeah. No, like, can no, they just jump in at the beginning? Can they yeah, just jump no. in? It's worth it. I've been listening to early episodes because I've been cutting the interviews into YouTube videos. Oh, cool. Oh, it's terrible. It's like so <laughs> listening to our Rob Bruce interview. Mm-hmm. Like every time he answers a question, I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember like the, the traffic going by and the sounds and you left it in. Well, he, we, yeah. there's we no way it, to edit I do it that on out. Purpose. There is, but I do it on purpose. I want people to know he's out on the street in New York. Or in New York so <laughs> <laughs> Juan did it. Yeah. Philadelphia. Did it. Was he f- wherever he was? He's in Philadelphia. Born He's and a, raised. You were born and raised in Philadelphia? No, not Just at all. like a certain prince. Yeah. He moved <laughs> to Bel Air? artist formerly? No. no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the guy West from Independence Day. Born and raised. <laughs> on the playground. That's where he's going. Nope. nope. Not doing that on Facebook. We're live, live right now. <laughs> we're live on Facebook. <laughs> Hashtag QLP. Oh. I don't know. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> uh, that that's, the, that's the show we're on right now. There's like a there's like a brief moment where I was like Quilp? Quilp? What is Quilp? Quilp? What's Quilp? Quilp? Is this like a sex thing? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. I'm ruining your show. No, like, you're making it better. You're hey, making it better. Watching. Hey, Which, hello. Uh, who is probably it? Probably my wife. <laughs> She's like, is it Mel? Hi, Mel. <laughs> nope. Somebody left. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this is not what I meant to click on. This, I, this doesn't sound like the Quantum Leap podcast. I don't oh, know my what's gosh. On. Are we so, live on TOTLB or yeah. no, Quantum Leap? Oh, oh, are we? Wow. Awesome. Quantum Leap. Oh, well, that's lame. I'm a Quantum Leap admin, sir. Well, this if, is what if, we're doing If they right have now. any feedback during the episode, let us know. So, does anybody have any feedback? If you nah. lose listeners, sorry. <laughs> no, we'll gain them because you're going to hype it way up on TOTLB, right, Juan? The Quantum, the quantum Leap commented on uh, the, our own Facebook Live, who I assume is Hayden right now. Hi, Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they comment. That's what yeah. you yell you, at me yes, about. Yes, I know. <laughs> hey, Hayden, if that's who's watching, immediately like everything on the Quantum no, Leap page I'm as Quantum Leap Podcast. Deleting. I'm deleting. <laughs> Just go like everything. It drives one nuts and it's amazing. <laughs> Oh, what are we talking about here? What oh, yeah, we are talking yeah. about yeah. the Great Spontini, Season 3, Episode 8 of Quantum Leap. Heather, first thoughts? It was not my... I don't know. I I don't know how I feel about this episode. It's very. I have a lot of I have a lot of feels, but first thought, first thought. Um, I didn't like it that much. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, every episode can't be for everyone. It's okay if you don't like one. That that means uh, you're being honest. That's that doesn't good. happen often. I don't mm-hmm. usually dislike Quantum Leap episodes. Were there things about it that you did like? Yeah, I mean, it was still a Quantum Leap episode. It was still a good like quantum leap e episode but i just i don't know there were there are much better ones okay okay i could see that okay gabe first thoughts so my first thought is i remember watching this as a kid like it's one of the episodes that my dad really liked and i was like yeah that's a good one 
Like I'm kind of with you. Like so, I haven't been obviously. I haven't been watching them. You know, so this is just like a shot in the dark, like a random quantum leap episode that I watched last night. So, I mean, it's quantum leap and it's a good episode. Kid peril is always fun in TV shows. So, <laughs> Cause I'm like, no, I'm a dad. That's awful. Right. <laughs> Why are you handcuffing yourself to that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Swears. It's okay. It's okay. I know. I'm going to say, I we think, both I already like jacked it up. Swears, like every we already time jacked I swear, it up. But, uh, <laughs> Like it's, I mean, it's, it's quantum leap. It was a good mm-hmm. episode just cause it's a good episode of quantum leap. I haven't seen it forever. I have other thoughts, but they're, they're digging deeper. So yeah, it's, it's initial a, thoughts is, yeah, that was, that was a thing. I watched it. That's good. I, I'm glad you watch it. Totally sober, right? <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, super sober. Definitely I mean, did. legally sober. Legally in sober Colorado. in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I definitely like ripped my bong super hard before I watched this. Like, uh, Juan. It wasn't that good. <laughs> it's not one. I remember before we even watched it, I was like, I remember this one just not being good. Yeah. It's too too fast, and there's just not much to it. It I did mean, go the by only, quick. Yeah, the only thing is the the thing almost falling on her, and that's Kid it. Peril. Like, Kid yeah, Peril's that's always it. fun, man. That was my least favorite There's part. not like know. you. Well, but I mean, in, in most of these episodes, there's a lot of ups and downs, and that was just mm. it. <laughs> one, okay. one of these parents is a caring parent. <laughs> <laughs> Like, but which one? I don't, I don't like the part where the kid's threatening. I'm like, it's off. Awesome. The kid almost dies. Gets impaled by 19 spikes at once. A terrible little actress almost dies. Oh. I'm sure we'll talk about that and a lot more after the episode recap. This is Season 3, Episode 8, The Great Spontini. Written by Christy Dawson and Beverly Bridges and directed by James Whitmore, Jr. Original broadcast date, November 16th, 1990. With Sam's injuries obtained during the Watts riots freshly healed, it would seem God, or time, or fate, or whatever, has a sick sense of humor leaping Sam into a tight space surrounded by sharp knives and the Sword of Doom. Panicking, Sam tears his way out of the box and finds it has just been part of a magic act. It's May 9th, 1974, and Sam is in the aura of a traveling magician named Harry Spontini, known to his fans as the Great Spontini, who often, and usually, performs in cheap nightclubs. His assistant is his precocious 12-year-old daughter, Jamie, who has high hopes for their act. They are aiming to perform on The Magician and earn enough money to buy a magic shop and stop living on the road. After fumbling through the remainder of their act, in illusion of cutting Jamie in half, Sam and Jamie retire to their dressing rooms. Sam is greeted by Harry's girlfriend, who practically ravages him, but mistakes Sam's surprise as Harry not being over his estranged wife, Maggie, who had abandoned him and Jamie three years earlier. As luck would have it, Maggie suddenly reappears with her attorney, Steve Slater, announcing her engagement to Steve and asking for a divorce. The next day, at a preliminary divorce hearing, Al, who himself has been through five divorces, believes that Maggie wants to take every cent that Harry has. Sam, knowing that Harry wasn't over Maggie, 
and having seen love in Maggie's eyes, doesn't believe this, and thinks he has leapt there to reunite the family. The hearing proves to be an attempt to blindside Harry. Steve paints Harry as an unfit father and claims that Jamie's living situation is unsuitable. Al is unable to help Sam with any information as the hand link to Ziggy is faulty, and after hitting it around, Al finally breaks it. The judge rules in Maggie's favor and awards her temporary custody of Jamie, ordering that Sam deliver her to Maggie's house by the end of the day. Jamie, who had been deeply hurt when her mother left, is devastated when Sam breaks the news to her and is adamant that she won't go to live with Maggie. Sam explains that he doesn't have a choice and that if they ran, he'd end up in jail and she'd end up with Maggie anyway. With some reassurance from Sam that he will visit her all the time, Jamie agrees on the condition that they go and check out the new illusion that will get them on the magician. The trick turns out to be a deadly one, known as the Table of Death. Sam is shocked by the name of the illusion, and is even more shaken when Al informs him it was so named because two people had died doing it. Jamie convinces Sam to attempt picking one of the locks on the table. But when he fumbles after Jamie starts the device and nearly loses his arm, Jamie bursts into tears thinking that this means that Harry does not want to go through with their plans to be on the magician and open the magic shop. Al, who now has a new hand link, the gummy bear version, tells Sam that his mission is to improve Jamie's future. She runs away from Maggie's house trying to find her father and ends up living on the street. Later, Sam drops a much calmer Jamie at Maggie's house. While Jamie explores, Sam attempts to make nice with Maggie, reminiscing about the good times they once shared. It's clear that Maggie and Harry still have chemistry, and they end up making out. Sam nearly has Maggie convinced to get back together, but Maggie is triggered when Sam mentions the magic shop. Having heard it all before, she doesn't believe that anything could change. Steve, who has just arrived, is surprised to see Sam in the house. When Sam says he was talking to his wife about his daughter... Steve says that his family only exists on paper, and that he won't even have that after the divorce. The next day, Maggie talks to Jamie, hoping to bond with her. Jamie is worried about her father, saying that they are a team, and are so close that they can sense when each other are upset or in trouble. Maggie tries to reassure Jamie that he'll be okay, and hopes that they can end up being a team too. She leaves Jamie with a babysitter, and heads to the divorce hearing. Jamie runs away from Maggie's house and heads to the club to make some adjustments to the table of death. A series of unfortunate events, however, leads to her wrists being locked in place without her pick, trapped on the table with the mechanism starting. The hearing is not going well for Sam. Maggie's testimony is damaging. While Sam is on the stand, Al centers in and warns Sam that Jamie is about to die. Sam says he has a bad feeling that Jamie is in danger and runs, despite the judge's warning he'll be held in contempt of court. Maggie, remembering what Jamie had said, believes Sam and joins him. At the club, Sam and Maggie find Jamie trapped on the table. Maggie tries to delay the machine by putting objects in its path, while Sam picks the lock. He manages to free Jamie one second before the spikes come down on top of her. 
Back at the hearing, Steve tries to hold Sam, Harry, responsible for Jamie's endangerment. But Maggie, who now realizes that Harry and Jamie's bond is too strong and that they shouldn't be separated, withdraws her petition for custody and divorce. Steve argues against this, but having been disgusted by his behavior over the past few days, Maggie dismisses Steve and gives him back his ring. Al tells Sam that Maggie helps Harry and Jamie get a little magic shop not far from her house. Sam kisses Maggie, and then Al reveals that Maggie and Harry get back together one year from that day. With a final hug from the reunited family, Sam leaps. And thank you, Hayden, for that episode recap. Oh, man, it made me... And we're back! <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, I it, practice in the car. You did, you did John some justice I, right there. I am wearing pants, though. That's the difference. Oh, yeah. John it really does pants. feel like he's not wearing pants. It does, doesn't it? Like, I don't know if it's the editing or just it's, it's the It's the loose and freeness that we have on our episodes. Yeah. We're free to say whatever the f*** we want. That's awesome. <laughs> There'll be a lot of handling sounds in this episode. A lot of, a lot of uh, chamber doors opening and closing. Um, Which isn't a thing anymore. What? Chamber doors opening and closing. But was so much. I didn't hear episode? it. Yeah, there was yeah, an yeah, off-camera right. one on this one. Was there? Uh, yeah, when he entered the uh, dressing room. Uh, there was well, an off-camera sound. Was no, a little bit there was no graphic. There no, hasn't been a graphic. I think sometimes you get it. so used to it that you don't even realize it's happening. Mm. I still yeah. laugh every time he's like, <laughs> like it's like a seal. <laughs> it's all noise. And I'm like, what is that? So Did you notice in this episode he killed the handling? Yeah. They had to switch to the brand new one. The gummy bear. The gummy bear. Okay, so that's what I was about to ask. Did... He switched computers like you were talking about him hitting it, and he had like a weird brown he's like, one. Oh, I think I killed like, it. I think I killed it, and then it's like a totally different thing than <laughs> yep. I time. They, so they wrote it what, in. It's the just the hand link. Yeah. Okay. I just I it's his iPhone. I, as yeah. I was watching it, I was like, "Those are two different props." <laughs> Continuity error. Or I'm ridiculously ridiculously high. Like, <laughs> a little bit of both. Right ri- now, I'm ridiculously <laughs> high, guys. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah, home first <laughs> first three seasons had the brown one, and then they switched to the gummy bear one. I got but a brown one. When I was watching the... <laughs> and his name is Juan. That's valid. Fun. Let me out. So that was, that was the... That's what this episode is mostly famous for, switching the hand link in the fan... Well, this is the new, I mean, like, this is the more known handling. Right. Yeah, the one right. that everybody thinks of. The other one you don't even think of. It looks like a, I don't know, a handheld kid's computer does not from the look 90s. No, it doesn't. That's exactly right there. It looks right like there. a chunk of wood. Yeah. Right. Like, it doesn't. <laughs> it might have been. Or, like, taped together or With something. Some LEDs. It looks, so, like, I remember, like, as I was watching the episode, like, at the beginning of the episode, I was like, what is that thing that he's holding? <laughs> like, is he, did he break it or something? Because <laughs> I remember, owner? I distinctly remember the other one. Mm-hmm. Like, because, so I, I think I've told this story on our podcast before, but like when my, uh, when, when my parents got divorced, like my custody was that I got to see my dad every other weekend. Okay. But as I got older, uh, Quantum Leap was on and we both really liked it because we had been watching like replays of it on like Friday nights or something like that. And they, or it started out, it was on Friday nights. It moved all over the place. And then they moved it to Wednesdays. And when they moved it to Wednesdays, my mom and dad came to an agreement where I would go to my dad's house. We would go eat chilies every time. 
chicken tenders every time. We would try to drink more soda than the other one. So we would drink like 15 to 20 like Cokes. Then we would go home and watch Quantum It all Leap. makes sense now. I know. Diabetes. <laughs> 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 so, so, but we would watch Quantum Leap like every week. So like I have a lot of really good memories like based on this show. Like so there was there was like rewatching it there was a little bit of that but I just I don't know it was just really funny because the handheld thing I was like what is he holding that doesn't look like the stupid handheld thing at all Man it's, they, it's weird in my memories uh, when I look back to older episodes call I just it what I want you don't whisper hand link at me <laughs> hand link are you prompting him Yeah no, you're trying to get mad at that I'm trying he yeah, does I he gets mad at everything What's funny is like I am you and, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, like don't whisper things to me <laughs> you tell me what the top some America. I'm trying to trying to make you sound better. That's right. All. That's it's all. a Trump's producer America. I don't have to listen to you at all. <laughs> That's true. Careful, I'll call ice. Uh, and, and how's that going to go? I'm going to go. Yeah. <laughs> the wall starts. <laughs> look at look so at Albie. Look at him again. Ruining no, it's great. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I just don't know where to jump in, but I'm enjoying it. This is a great episode of TOTLB. Huh? Oh, jump just jump in. in like that. You just got to go. The episode, to me, my first impression is it's really good, but when you examine it, there's no good in it. It's, <laughs> it's weird. It's like the, the – it's greater than the sum of its parts because like it fails so many times in so many different ways, but there are good things, but it just doesn't work. If that makes sense. It does. Like I, I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're saying. Like the plot – Mm-hmm. Is super simple. Sometimes mm-hmm. I remember quantum. I think leap it was being, overly simple. Like on sometimes yeah. quantum yeah. leap could be like incredibly convoluted. Mm-hmm. But like the story it wanted to tell was like A to B, mm-hmm. and I think it failed because it was so like A to B. But it makes a lot of sense. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. The little girl is adorable. Cannot act. You didn't think so. I no. I wrote down great actress. Oh, you want to know why though? It's because when he's writing the notes down, he's picturing the thirty something year old that she is now. Or maybe. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, she's amazing. I'm still trying to get her on the show. So So like like and look, she might be, she might be a great actress now, mm-hmm. but like as a child she was a she had a very wooden delivery. Mm. And because her delivery was wooden, I think his was too a lot of the time. There were moments like the moment where he's like hugging her and like telling her everything's gonna be okay and leans in, gives her a kiss on the head, I was like, that comes across as awkward, not like kind. What's well, gotta be awkward? Well, obviously, because it's a strange <laughs> little kid, but like but like the way he's like kinda and like shoehorning his head in there to give her a little peck on top of the forehead. I'm just like, whoo, don't play down to her level, dude. Like you're killing it. For me, those scenes were making me a little verklempt, the whole father daughter thing. But at the same time, the tie issue in the, in the episode, <laughs> Sam's tie got shorter the incredibly and shorter tie? as the episode went on. If you watch from beginning to end, it starts off a little bit above <laughs> his belt. And then by the end, he's got like three inches of tie. <laughs> And like he's, these are like heartbreaking scenes and dramatic between him and his daughter. And this tie is just so short you can't take it seriously. So, so like I, I have a hard time watching 80s and 90s television at all and taking any of it seriously. Like my friend, we were, you know, we were just over at my friend's house. My daughter kind of has like a bob cut and her hair is a little bit red and she's wearing glasses. And my friend Steve goes, holy, you look like 
uh, Scully from X Files, you know. And she's like, oh, thanks. That's great. I was like, except for her shoulder pads aren't there. You know? <laughs> and like, there's like these moments where like the fashion of the 80s and 90s will like take me out of a show. Like exa- that's exactly – I was watching it. They're having like this really pivotal moment. I'm like, what is wrong with his suit? Like, <laughs> like, so why, much polyester. Why do you episode? look so stupid right now? Like just wear a cotton suit. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, why are you shiny? The early 90s, they were like, what is the most 70s we can dress these people? Exactly. Like, like I don't blame Jean-Pierre Durliac. I think somebody else was saying, okay, we're going to just over 70s this. Because it was just polyester on top of polyester. I don't think ties were ever that wide in real life. No, man, I've seen – so <laughs> other fun fact about me and my dad. <laughs> uh, my dad used to – when he worked at State Farm, he used to have to wear a suit. And I would help my dad match his tie to his suit. It was kind of like this weird you know, father-son bonding thing we did every morning. But he had like a tie hanger in the back of his closet that just had like the abomination ties. And there were some that are like – as wide as like my hand, you know, like wow. five, six inches wide. I'm like, why would you wear this? He's always a fashion at the time. I'm like, no, <laughs> that was a wrong one. I don't know. What's better, super wide or super skinny? Oh, super, super skinny, skinny yeah. man. Yeah, okay. With the Definitely. silver suit. Yeah, I think so too. Heather? So this is completely unrelated to the tie thing, but you guys are talking about awkwardness when it comes to the tie and all those moments. But you've all seen this episode before. So coming in from the first watch, <laughs> I'm like, at first, what? Who is this girl? Because I don't know if she's, they're related. So she's some random 12-year-old girl. And then Al comes in and he's like, did you see that girl getting naked next door? And I'm like, oh, wow. this is really not okay. Like, it's, what is going on? Because, like, again, you don't know that it's his daughter for, like, a while. I mean, until she's like, dad, da, da, da. I mean, you kind of figured out. But, but he, at first, you don't know. Right, right. He doesn't call, she Maybe doesn't they're just call carnies. him dad no, for no, a long she does, time. But, like, you realize when the mom comes in and, like, what's going on. But for the first, like, I don't know, at least five minutes of the of them interacting, you're like, That's we gross. don't know if, we don't know no, if it's, so, like, a circus so, thing. So, or Jamie said she was going to go quick change. And then you thought Al was watching Al, her quick change. Al was yeah. like, did you I see the girl next door? So and I'm I like, what? No. I haven't, I haven't seen this episode. Take a picture of that. Sorry. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen this episode since I was like his age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I yes, I've seen it before, but like a long time ago. Right. So when that when they're coming off a stage and stuff, I was like, that girl seems really <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're like the way they're kind of interacting with each other. They seem not father daughter. They seem like boyfriend girlfriend. Right. And then like, you know, she's, I'm going to go change. And you know, did you see that girl getting undressed? I was like, this is weird. <laughs> like, I was like, like you guys are talking about she, ties. I'm I was like, like, is she? This is, weird. is she just like? Does she just look? Really good? Yeah. Like, is she like, she's like 19, but you know, she looks 14. Oh, you better edit that. that wow. Wow. No, 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 that's a that's thing a that's T-O-T-O-B staying in. Yeah, right that's there. staying in. We'll there's have to edit like that a, out. There's got to be like two versions of the show. Oh, that's got to sure stay in. You can't like, edit that uh, out. For the unedited version, go to the TOTLB website. You should do like a special for our patrons. Yeah, yeah. I, I never even thought about that. That's horrible. I actually didn't think about that I had that the same either. moment. I, but I was, 100% and the, well, feel you on that. I was very glad when the other woman walked in because I was like, oh. Well, no, and then I was even more confused. <laughs> I was like, I genuinely was like, is he cheating? 
cheating on her with that lady? Like, what's going on right now? That, that was a totally unnecessary part of the of the show. Oh, totally unnecessary. The girl walking in and just getting in, just jumping on it makes no sense. It's not a zero purpose. Just to make Al a horn dog. Indicator that's it. Yeah. Well, no, it's the and it's also the indicator that he still loves his wife. Oh, because yeah. she's like you're thinking about her, and you're like he's thinking about the girl in the other. <laughs> <room>. <laughs> the even even Al's like like <laughs> nobody knows what's going. Even Sam is like I don't know what's wrong. Like who is she? It's just weird. He's all go for it. He's <laughs> like that seems real rapey. <laughs> Al yeah. did not read up on what was going on before he got there. Like yeah. he doesn't he's know. All, Let's has, do this. has Sam ever gone for it? And said, "Al, just watch." No, no it doesn't happen. No, no. But Al well, yeah, keeps because insisting. It's like Christian Coalition, like '90s, like network television. Mm-hmm. Like they never could have gotten away with that back then. Did I Al? Don't know. Al gets away with a lot he of does. things. Not in this stuff series. he wouldn't he now. Says stuff, but he doesn't do it. Is, it was, is he cheating on Tina? That's what I want to know. What were they talking about? Uh, which which he time? Said it's been a while. It's been a while, and it's like two weeks. And he said. You shouldn't have to go for two weeks. So it's like he's sleeping remember. with somebody when Tina's away. Probably he's mm. on his like eighth do- uh, eighth wife. Eighth daughter, <laughs> wife. <laughs> you're, you're thinking about think the twelve year old. Well, no, I'm sorry. Spontini. I almost spoil. I almost went spoiler effect. I forgot that she hasn't watched it. So oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> he mentions a third wife in the episode at least. Yeah, I think. Well, but four, throughout right? the season, he's always fifth? talking about this. Yeah, I he's always fifth. talking about my lawyer for this wife and my lawyer for that wife. Yeah, and they bleed him dry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lauren Woodland is the one that played Jamie Spontini. Y- you might know her from another role. You might remember me from. Uh, uh, Alienation. She was a little girl in Alienation, the alien girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's the why TV I think show, I right? like her so much. Yeah. Yeah. The TV show, not the movie. Man, I really liked that show. It was a good it. show. It was, it was a really good. good show, yeah. Alienation, Heather? No. No. Mm-hmm. The okay. movie's kind of garbage. <laughs> yeah, they but. They drink you got, sour you, milk to get drunk. It's yeah. super weird. I tried it. It does not work. It does not work. <laughs> it's the Jenkum of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> You should have seen the aspirin he was taking earlier. It looked like total coke. That's... It's, it's like BC heading powder. It's yeah. not. It's a thing. It's a it's a packet of little powders that you yeah. like crushed up heading. Okay. He had it in a, in a paper roll and just. <laughs> and he's all, Wait a minute! Just what just happened? <laughs> he's all man. I love this aspirin. Juan was like, "Do you have to do that in front of everybody? Can you go in the bathroom like everybody else?" Gotta go take you your guys want some of this aspirin? Yeah. <laughs> they always take a nasty time, so that's why I know why it is. But yeah, it does look a lot like Coke. That's my, son, that's my son. How do you know Ashley. what Coke looks like? <laughs> because it's not look, 90s Christian Coalition uh, anymore. I've, I've like, watched TV has all sorts of crazy Look crap. at Gabe. That's why. Oh, that's, oh. that's why. Whoa. Yeah, because clearly I do a lot of Coke. Yeah. No, not because you do a lot of look Coke. Look at the size of me. <laughs> <laughs> but you're always wired. I'm, oh. Oh, that's, that's ADD. <laughs> that's different. <laughs> Uh, do you want to start, Heather, with your mental notes? Um, okay. <laughs> um, She's like, wait a minute. That's not how this episode's going. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I said earlier that I wasn't really a huge fan of this episode. And I have a lot of problems with this episode. Uh, I, The plot line to me, like, I don't know. So... I personally don't think either one of these parents deserve this kid because 12-year-old Jamie is taking care of her father, number one. Number two, like, she's like, and then, Dad, we're going to do this, and uh, I'm going to teach you how to do this death table, and uh, these are all the things I'm doing for you. And, like, at no point does the father act like a father at all in this episode, like, ever. 
You mean now, Sam, saying, though, right? Yeah, yes, but I'm, which I understand, but she's so you like, she's already comfortable in her role. It's not like if if that wasn't already a thing, she wouldn't already be like, and this is what we're doing, and this is what we're doing next, and what's going on with you. It's this, it's this time all over again. Was it San Francisco all over again, or whatever she said? So it's not like, I mean. Sam, complete stranger, she's not even thinking it's that weird. It's happened before already. Which I understand, like, his wife left. It's been three years. He's had to do a single parent thing. Like, I get that. But I also am watching a 12-year-old take care of their father. Whether it's Sam or not, she's comfortable in that role. So there's one thing. I think that's part of what gave birth to my confusion of their relationship, too. Right. Is she comes across as, like, his manager girlfriend, not his daughter. Right. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Second thing... The mom comes back after three years. I don't care what is going on in your life. You don't show up for three years in your kid's life. I don't think a judge should ever give you custody of your kid, especially just like when you walk right through the door. Hey, I just want my kid back. Um, cool. What? Done. So like <laughs> that whole thing weirds me out because I don't understand. I don't even have an opinion on who should have had the kid. Because, like, the mom seems like she's got her stuff together a little bit more than he does as far as, like, stability. And she wants, you know, stability for her daughter and this, this, and that. She wanted to get her life together. And he's just kind of like, I am a magician. Like, he, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and I get that it's Sam. But, again, everybody was not shocked. Like, nobody was shocked that this is where he is in life. So, right. again, it's not, like, just because it's Sam. Now, the lawyer boyfriend is so stereotypical of like step parent thing, which is odd because putting a bad stereotype on step parents, I don't know what that, why that was ever a thing on television because that shouldn't be a thing. Like you shouldn't make someone who wants to better anyone's life an evil person. So that was another weird character thing that was going on. And then at the end, they just got back together. And I was like, It was so the kiss. after, but like after all the, so your wife leaves you for three years. I don't care if you're still in love with her. You're not just like, All right, perfect, happy family, let's do this. No, you definitely bring up like couples. Hey, but, but, like, hey, um, we need, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, hey, so you left for three years. For like, three years. But you're looking at it through the scope of of the guy and not Sam, who's just trying to put him back. To, oh, I think no. that's what the, well, that's what the about, end scene is, right? Like where, yeah. where Al goes, he's ah, trying to not change in the, the cards, and he's like, F that. And Watch that's this. Why, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, but I'm just saying as like a whole plot, like – it, like, there's so many things that I find wrong with, right. like, how the story went. Like, I understand, like, the custody thing and, and that those are situations that are complicated. And, and but, like, I just had so many, like, I was confused as to why either, neither parent looks like they should have that child. Like, they all, somebody needs to get involved and... <laughs> Figure like I get that you're gonna be a great big happy family again, but like also I don't know, like it, it does just doesn't the whole thing seemed just way too forced. Like the whole storyline to me just seemed forced and didn't seem realistic in any way at all, where 
why if the mom came back after three years and cared, why was she leaving him with someone who she thought was irresponsible for her daughter, who is a teenager? It's not like she was a baby. It's not like she was a kid who wasn't going to remember. This is a capable child who could have been enrolled in school while you went back to school, who... And and I get that I'm a mom, and so I'm more passionate about someone leaving their child for three years. But it just doesn't make sense to me that that was the plot device, that she left for three years, didn't say anything, but now she thinks the dad is irresponsible, which he is, but... I, I think and there's the- so many better solutions than I abandon my family. Right. Like, and and, and she was- said she had to. She had no choice. And why? Because she had to get her real estate license. Yeah, like that's not going like, to take up your a- entire day for three years. I call like barren six space on that. BS. Like that, that takes like. <laughs> How long have you been waiting for that? Wow, he just fucking. <laughs> it's well, thirty-eight episodes. <laughs> I call barren space on that. No, but it's just. Well, I we think. Have I think different shows. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the first time in the history of us watching Quantum Leap that this isn't a Tommy Thompson episode. This isn't a Deborah Pratt episode. This isn't a Donald P. Bellazario episode. This isn't a Chris Rupenthal episode. Wait, isn't it a Chris Rupenthal no, episode? No, this was written by two different people. Oh, it was directed. He's he's in the credits. He's he's as a producer. Oh, is he? Yeah. You can oh, read okay. it. No, I believe you. I just remembered seeing his name. That's how I was... Ah. Oh, yeah. The paper wrestling, NPR. <laughs> Today on Quantum Podcast, we have um, uh, a lot of good guests coming up today, <laughs> and uh, we have the magician. Continue the what you were saying. <laughs> what was I saying? Where, where am I? That you were saying it's, it's not, not a Chris written Rupenthal. by like the solid writer. It's not written by Chris Rubenthal, and it's it's written by two other people. It's written by it's written by two women. Which hold on, yeah, wait, which wait. is even more crazy. Christy Dawson and Beverly Bridges. Here's I had the never problem. Seen them Here's the problem. I think the story led to the death table thing. That was the only reason that the story existed. That was added on. It was like a small B-plot just to give the ending some jeopardy, and it really, there was no jeopardy, because like you're you not going to kill a 12-year-old Right. Yeah. Now, when I remember this episode, I thought she died the first time I watched it, but I was wrong. You were, you were making it more interesting. <laughs> that didn't need to be there. That, one, I don't remember if any kids dying in Quantum Leap. It was one, poor writing is what I'm saying. One poor thing writing. to think about culturally is two women writing this episode, they're trying really hard, I think in a lot of ways, to probably like break through a lot of the stereotypes of you know a woman asserting herself saying, I won't live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do my own thing and solve my own problems. And sometimes when you're trying to like make that point as a writer, you take it like way too far. But and like, the, and the I walk <laughs> out on my whole family for three years no. is that step. They're no. trying to make like this huge exaggerated point to like make a much smaller point, and it just it it misfires. Like mm-hmm. it's so like the 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 plot is is strange. Like like I said, it's so A to B. That they that they had nowhere to go in there to like tell like a halfway's decent story like yeah. like you said the the kid on the death table mm-hmm. is just there so they can have the quantum leap car chase scene right like I at mean the end. which is it's like in every Jeopardy. episode and it it just but this mm. one was like a sad attempt at one like it wasn't you weren't like wow I don't know how this is gonna end you're like, like oh he's absolutely gonna save that little kid's well, life I, right. I think the story was written. this is like 1980 whatever and they're definitely not gonna kill not a gonna child kill on TV right. <laughs> I think it was written without that at, at the beginning and then they got to the end of the episode and they're like uh, nothing, nothing happens, happens. <laughs> yeah which is okay now in television now if you did that that'd be great 
No way. Sometimes. What show would you watch like that? That was horrible storyline. You think so? Yeah. Okay. What What show would you watch? Well, I was where thinking like, like no um, element the, of excitement at all. Yeah, that's a good point. Because usually, I mean, usually take, when take we're the, it's, the, the team death. is not formulaic now, is what I'm saying. Take the kid death scene out. Okay, take the death. I might. I what happens? It goes straight. Not much. It doesn't. It, it doesn't they, peak. Not much. They go to court. Like they have like a like a super corny court scene that's not even like a courthouse scene they're like randomly in the judge's office (laughs) (laughs) there's a guard drinking drinking water in the fountain fountain. (laughs) and when they run out of the court and the judge says stop (laughs) nothing happened that's why the guy was drinking from the water fountain is because he didn't see Juan noticed the water fountain the first three times it took me until the fourth time I was like why is there a random water fountain in the middle of this courtroom it doesn't make any sense it's weird. I, I don't. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. Why would there be a yeah, water just like it doesn't make any sense. Wow, T- California is T- weird. T- <laughs> courtrooms are always in the hallway, right? So they give people a chance to talk. Yeah, not right there. Uh, so, like, so it, I mean, yeah. The the storyline of it is is weak. <sighs> is but, it is that, it bad for us to harp on the writing, or is it just? Well, every oh. episode, like I'm usually now. Little known fact about me, I am like so pro every like i'm like but you know what it was okay like i'm so much like that when i see a movie and i'm like it wasn't great but you know what these are the good things about it like i was trying to find like something positive like this episode i just i feel so bad because most of what do i normally say my this one wasn't my favorite it's usually like the worst thing i'll say about a quantum (laughs) leap episode Uh, and and i think someone even called me out once it was like do you have a favorite episode because there's a lot of them that aren't your favorite (laughs) but like this one goes so much lower than not my favorite like it's just and and that's the first time that's happened to me where i've just been like "Mm, hmm nothing about this episode is is good and i didn't even dislike the acting as much i just to me, the whole I just felt weird watching it the whole time. Like it just didn't feel like a like, normal quantum. Like I expected more. I think from this one, it's like watching mommy and daddy fight. It's not enjoyable. It's not entertainment. <laughs> it was over like like and, that. It and was, it was very was fast. Very fast. Was, it was very quick because it, it doesn't in Why? a normal Why in a normal so episode. There's a lot more peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. And like you said earlier, there it was just, nothing. Just a straight line. It was yeah. a straight line until the until the. That's the bed scene, the and then it ended. So that's why I liked the kid peril so much. I was like, "Oh, cool, something's happening. <laughs> Maybe she'll die." And because then, you knew I, nothing bad. Was I know. Gonna I, I hope she dies. I hope she dies. <laughs> there, was, there was a little part of me that was like, "Yeah, kid's gonna die." Nah, nah, <laughs> man. I thought the acting was good. I, I really did. I thought um, Eric Anderson, who plays uh, the uh, boyfriend, the lawyer, I thought he was really good at making you hate him. I hated him the whole time. So that I think. Of all the who doesn't hate skeevy lawyers? Yeah, but of all the the cast, he's the one that is the only one that's trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, he definitely like did he, well. In his he role. does that, like, but the mom is like not believable. You didn't like her about the kid. Oh well, about like, the, the kid. kid yeah, the no, she kid, didn't care the, about the kid. The kid not doesn't come across as like. A child, she comes across as like a weird little like pseudo adult. She had to grow which, up early, which, she, which happens. Which makes sense. Like, I mean, I so when I was younger, my mom was a single mom, and I had two younger brothers, and like I was taking care of all of them. Like my brothers to this day are still like, yeah, but you take care of everyone. Like since I was little, so like I relate to that. I, 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 I can mean, understand, I get- but but. It's still not okay. Like, I had to think about uh, which one of us is on which channel there for oh, a second. Matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like I, I, I 100% understand that. My oldest daughter is exactly that way. And, like, I grew up effectively by myself. Like, but, like, she comes across not even as, like, 
a child moving into that role. Yeah. But as like just an adult that's short, like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the, the like uh, the dad who's not the dad, it's Sam. Mm-hmm. Like he just I, I remember him being more impassioned in the episodes when I was watching it as a kid. And like this just comes across as just so like paint by numbers, read the script. It doesn't there's like just no pathos behind it at all like I'm, I'm like well I mean he's trying to like save this little kid from you know being by herself or like being in an unhappy situation like she's not even in a bad situation like I feel like as a father if like I mean my ex-wife didn't disappear for like three years but if she was like hey we've got this really nice house like you know we can get them into a really nice school we still want to share custody with you but they should stay here I mean my kids do stay with my ex-wife you know half of the time and they go to school in her school district so like you know there's compromise there you're not just like I mean he's in a he's in a trailer like that's right. not even parked in a parking lot <laughs> we it's said parked the same on the side thing. of the road we're like man. what what who what, what cop parked? doesn't tow this damn yeah. trailer away it's like, just chilling on the highway like they they would park there and like immediately hear whoop whoop like i mean <laughs> like, just like immediately maybe not back then i don't know no i think, think so? so i think it was what a callback with los, los angeles what are you doing <laughs> with this little child over here sir like, why are you in a trailer why with a kid on the like side that? of the road in a yeah in a swimsuit like <laughs> definitely definitely pizza well game. it was directed <laughs> by oh man sorry sorry it, it didn't have very many it, very many windows it was directed by james whitmer jr and he also directed the rockford files so oh, i don't know if you've shit, ever seen that. that show right and there's always that trailer sitting in there yeah. so i think that shot was maybe an <laughs> homage to that i could see that that's I think hilarious so. god rockford, rockford files, files is great mm. rockford Dude, files no do yourself no. a favor Watch some of the Rockford Files. It's really awesome. It's probably one of the best, like, private detective, like, kind of noir TV shows that came out in the 70s and 80s. That show it's, is... not that, it's not that I don't want to. It's just that I'm 28. And, and you're like... forced to watch Quantum Leap. Well, no, it's not, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that. Like, I mean, my mom... To be I, fair, I watched... she, we've watched two episodes in a year, so... Yeah, it's not that. <laughs> I, I mean, I used, to, I, I used to watch more, but it's just life. But, um, like, it's not that I don't want to watch all these things it's just like i have a lot more to catch up on because oh. i started later like like he'll he that's a running gag with us he'll be like do you know so and so and i'm like no rockford no, files not- was a show my grandparents made me watch right. like i was really young but i rewatched it in the, the crew that was a long time ago the guy that's in it is famous <laughs> he died uh, yeah that guy. i wish i could remember that one he, he did insert yeah, name here insert name here rest in peace my, Michael Kirk, <laughs> Michael Kirk, Michael Kirk Memorial Hotline. Which what's the number for that? If you would like he to was call talking. the Michael Kirk Memorial Hotline, like I'm inadvertently doing right now, you can dial nine seven zero five seven three six one four eight. That so is what right. you said. Get good some. Job. Very good. Get some. Whammy. Where'd Whammy. you get that from? Whammy. Hmm. People are like, "What? Why am I calling this phone number?" <laughs> no, just call it. It's hilarious. You called it. I did. I. I don't I'll think be, so. I think I did once, I'll twice, no, twice. It I hung up on me. No, I did. No. It hung up on me. No, like three minutes later. So I had to call back. I sent you that text message. It, it must not have gone through. I called about that. <laughs> <laughs> I called about Firefly. Remember? I did. I sent you a text when, and when an his email voice goes up crazy. at the end and it's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I sent you that email. Did yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get the check? Inconsistencies in your voice. <laughs> you got a lot of notes in front of you, sir. I do. I don't have a brain or memory. Uh, I thought 
<laughs> I, I thought Amy Steele was really good. Uh, she played Maggie. I thought she was a good actress in this. That's the mom? Yes. Because um, you're wrong. I, I, I could be <laughs> you're wrong. But I really felt the tension of um, between her and uh, the magician that Sam was in. But, nah. Like, like they they were just supposed to be together, sense. but they weren't together. Like, you didn't feel that tension? No. No, they felt like strangers. Really? They absolutely. I 100% agree with her. So I was just reading into that. When yeah. she comes in... And like bursts in, and that chick's sitting on his lap, and she's like, "What's going on here?" Like she has that like look on her face. It's like a like you know going once you once you figure out that she's been gone for three years. Like how dare you judge what this dude is doing? Like that's true. Three years. But then like when they're interacting with each other, you know he's supposed to love her, and he knows that she loves him back, and they are just so hello. How are you? Even those like moments before so, the kissing. Yes. Really? You so, didn't sense and that? kissing is so like... Hot, right? No. Smoosh really? <laughs> Smoosh face. I thought it was so like, hot. It looks so... That sounded like something dude, completely different. Your, like, <laughs> your porn cash must be weird. That's hot, man. Like, that Awkward was, kissing. <laughs> Nude. XXX. <laughs> <laughs> Like that final I'm kiss, totally though, where he just grabs Pornhub her. and look no. up awkward kissing. <laughs> awkward kissing. It's, it's on there. It's What's the rule is that? It's got to be on there. Rule number what? Uh, 47. 47? That's yeah. it. But yeah. like, Porn no, for everything. Even with Al going, oh, it's not in the cards, and then they have that kiss, and it's like, oh, and they're back together. Like, that, I don't. And it's telegraphed. Like right he then. telegraphs it's it so hard. Oh, they're never going to get back together. Yeah, they are, because he's going to go over there and kiss her, and it's stupid. Like I, to be fair, to be fair, sometimes at the end of episodes, it is you don't always get the best results. Oh no, I know that. Like, like I said, I watched a lot of this as a kid. Mm. I remember there were episodes where there wasn't a happy mm. ending. I feel like this should have been one of those episodes. Like, uh, it was okay for so them to just to just share custody and not right, be yeah. together. That would have been more yeah. realistic. Yeah, yeah, and like would have. Yeah, spoken, I like that ending. It would have spoken more intensely to Smoking. her being an independent woman too. Mm. Right. She doesn't need him. She mm-hmm. just wants to co-parent with him. Mm. Like that's perfectly but fine. Then, but then she finds a magic like, shop for him, and and Maggie gives, found the ma- Maggie magic shop. finds the magic shop for him. Because and, and starts it for him because he can't take care of himself. Like, <laughs> He's I mean, a guy. He is a guy. He is kind no, of no, a man I, child. Yeah. Hey, no, I mean, no, no, like, don't don't do that. I hate that. Okay, I won't do that. Guys are super capable of doing whatever they want. Like some dudes are like super immature and like can't handle their lives or like need help. Like, a partnership of people working together is like a partnership. Like, when people say, oh, he's a guy, he's just stupid. He doesn't know how to take care of his kids. He doesn't know how to do this. Because he's a guy, that's yes. idiotic. We're, we're all you capable. Just, you just didn't get taught how to do that <laughs> because you grew up. Like, if you're from my generation or your generation, you grew up. Like, the first time my dad saw me changing a diaper, he was like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm changing the diaper. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and he's all, oh, I never changed your diaper. I was like, well, then you sucked as a dad. No wonder you guys got divorced. Like, <laughs> you, you, ever, you ever get those the, under the breath? Like, oh, he didn't come out with mom? You know what I yeah. mean? How's he doing it? Like, I'm, well, what do you mean? Like well, yeah, I, exactly. I'm, I'm the parent just as much as the other exactly. person. I, what yeah. the, that's that's one of my huge pet peeves. Like on on the TV, the commercial where the dad is just the dumb dad that doesn't know how to take care of the kids. Like these guys survived. Like half the time, I had them by myself, and they're just fine. 
This should have been a video podcast. (laughs) As he like chows down on a freaking bag of cold spaghetti spaghetti with nothing on it from a Ziploc I don't even know where that came from. When was the last time we had spaghetti? Three nights ago? Maybe. It's a vegan meal. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I had Um, to. Well, that brings up a great line that I think was in this episode. By the way. I don't well, know what that means. No. They are currently inhaling cow. We These are. two vegans it smells are like poop sucking in dead bit. cow oh. as we speak. Don't barf. I don't know what that means. They're vegans. It's funny no, to me. Yeah. I'm a cook, so I make fun of vegans. I'm I sorry. was a cook for 23 years. I know. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. How? How? Because crazy people are cooks for a long ass time. Because it. they paid me to listen to music and dance and then cook here and there. And eat food. Smoke weed and drink. Exactly. In the cooler. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. No. I work off at work constantly. Never. God. I didn't take so naps in the walk-in. Spares. I can't <laughs> not do it. <laughs> it's okay. There's a lot of handling sounds going on. I have I have literally had to restructure the way I talk for the podcast. Like, there's now, like, a thing. Because there's a microphone in my face, I, like, think about like the words. Like, I the, say stuff the, instead of... The, but normally not. The pop filter doesn't look enough like my grandmother for it me to... <laughs> It doesn't filter your swearing as it goes through. It doesn't go, mm, me hong. <laughs> or, what? Yeah, it, it doesn't have a sandal that it throws at my head. <laughs> Ow, God, hurts so much. How does the flip flop hurt so much? <laughs> the thing is, we don't we don't have to think when we podcast. I know, we just, we just talk. We just talk, enjoy. We just did a whole yeah. sex episode. <laughs> and it was hilarious. Episode 69, I yes. was supposed to be there. 69, dude. I might be there in 70. Well, he, We're trying he, to figure that out. You guys should he usually sits across from me, yes. so I get judgment looks, and then he'll be like, re-say that. Well, no. you're getting, so that you're after, a while, after a while, you just like, all right, oh, fine, so, I won't curse. So she doesn't, she doesn't get, she doesn't get judgment looks. Yeah, no we judgment, get high fives. Swears. Okay. Well, I also you? don't think I would even, at this point, I don't think I would care. Care. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Like, notice I don't have any notes either. <laughs> like Drinking a beer. Yeah. Hey, that's how we rule when TOTLB's here. That's how we Well, rule. that's yeah. you drink beers. I, I smoke dope. You're, you're drinking a beer right <laughs> well, now. Right now, because he was kind enough to offer. <laughs> I hardly ever drink. You want him to offer you some of his Coke? <laughs> no, I don't want <laughs> It's headache powder. I feel like the last thing I ever need to do is any kind of upper. Just like, <laughs> you have a bum knee, bro. You ain't going nowhere. Just fall over. <laughs> Try to run around, just hurt myself. Like, all the thoughts in my head, and there's nothing I can do. Hashtag Meals on Wheels, baby. <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, I think that brings up a great line that in this episode it was it was poorly written, but there was a couple good lines, and I think one of them was uh, where Sam says, uh, "Right now they don't." Uh, the law doesn't view fathers as equal or good parents. Yes. But one day they will. So having, that was nice. Having gone through custody stuff, I, you know, watching that, all I can think to myself is they knew that back then. Why haven't they fixed it? Mm-hmm. Because, like, even when I was going through my custody stuff, there was so much, well, is he fit to have the children? I was like, I've been raising them. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> They live at my house. Of mm-hmm. course I'm fit. I feed them. They go to school. Like, Sophia only ran away from home in the snowstorm <laughs> one time. <laughs> that's like, not so bad. I yeah. feel like that has to happen, though. Like, I feel like that's 
going to happen with my kids. Like, I'm running away. All right. See okay, you later. See ya. <laughs> this was different. There was like a massive snowstorm, and I had to go pick up the two older kids from school. Oh. And she just left. She like, walked through the window. She yeah. never walked out of her room because it was locked. She went through she was the like, window. She was like, Al. She just walked through the window. And she was like... Two and a half, three years old. Oh, like, really? Ren has Ren yeah, has been it was nightmarish. Ren has packed her bags and oh, been like, "Dude, I'm leaving." And ever like every every I, kid I, st- did that, I stopped though, right? her from running away. She said, "I said you can't run away." She said, "Why?" I said, "You're not old enough yet." She said, "Oh," and she put <laughs> her stuff and walked away. That's genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it worked. I don't so know how long it'll work, Ash but it worked. Flipped me off and walked out the door. <laughs> I said, "You're not old enough yet." <laughs> I she mean, got she, so was, she was like four, yeah. but like I mean, Ashton so. would have flipped me off and walked out the door at four. <laughs> <laughs> We're lucky that some of those things still work. <laughs> Okay, other good parts. Other good parts of this episode. Okay, so other good lines. Mm-hmm. So my dad is a catchphrase dude. When my dad hears a catchphrase that is hilarious, he says it over and over and over and over until it completely stops being hilarious. Like, the catchphrase in this that my dad said for months, smooth move, x <laughs> Like As soon as she said that, I was like, <laughs> my dad. Because like, <laughs> my dad would tell me that every time I did anything like remotely clumsy that I was mean, a very popular saying back then he yeah. i mean he there was there was some she says something else at the very end this is probably like the one note i should have written down she says something about the guy being a butthead mm-hmm. like take off butthead or something mm-hmm. like that and then my dad thought that was hilarious too mm-hmm. but i mean there's there's moments of funny dialogue mm-hmm. there's moments where they seem like connected mm-hmm. but for the most part it just seems like people pretending like they're connected like every every once in a while when i'm like super super stoned i can tell when people are acting mm-hmm. and this is de- was definitely one of those moments where i was very cognizant that it was people pretending to be in a situation See, i wasn't high so i didn't have that insight oh, no that's just fooled. it's just a weird thing that happens to me sometimes like and it doesn't happen very often what it happens to me the most on is is wrestling. Like when they're, <laughs> when they're doing promos, I was oh, like, yeah. "Oh, they're pretending." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's it, in general, like the episode is just like so A to B. It just doesn't do anything. Well, I think that's where it failed the the writing. So I think even the actors in this episode they tried to do the best, but they knew it was crap, <laughs> and they were trying to do their best. But you know? I feel like they weren't even trying to do their best. Yeah, like yeah that, I had the feeling like they were just trying to get through it to get on to the next one. This, so maybe the next one was good. I feel is the textbook definition of it got phoned in. Yeah. Like, I, I would agree with you. I would agree where, with you. Where they were just like, oh, okay, we're I doing can't, this one now. I can't think of another Quantum Leap episode so far that was like this. Usually they have me crying and everything. I was – like this one I didn't cry. I was verklempt a little bit when the dad and the daughter embraced because I have such a good relationship with my daughter and – Anytime I see a dad and daughter or anything, it could be a commercial. I, Man, I, I cried get at a little... trolls, and this didn't do anything. To really? Me. Yeah. That's because your daughter was going to prom. So. Well, yeah, there was there was some extenuating circumstances for trolls, but, but trolls is a good movie. The though. movie, I love it. Yeah, dude, Justin Timberlake starts singing True yeah. Colors, and they all turn back into color. Oh, Waterworks, yeah. dude. Yeah. I was dying. That and Moana, I would. I'm like. Oh, yeah. Mess watching when that the too. when the grandmas like. Mm-hmm. Stingray comes over and oh, it's yeah. like, oh, I'm out. Right. <laughs> no, mess. I'm a mess. Those two movies. It's no, it's every. every I know movie. it's everything. I know. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Toy Story. 
Toy Story, especially Toy Story, like yeah, the one where Toy he Story has to give his kid his toys away. Toy Story is meant to crush your heart. Yeah. Like that is so the toys have, are about to I get this, lit on fire. I have this problem when I see like a stuffed animal that falls out of the car and gets abandoned. It like, I mean, it for some reason it destroys me. Toy Story is just three movies of that. <laughs> like, uh, where I'm just like, and then the toys were by themselves, and the little kids don't have the toys. <laughs> I, I think Toy Story affects us all. I can't, yeah. I can't not uh, you have no include heart. it. You have no heart if you, yeah. if you are at least like, wow, that was emotional. Like, yeah. you, you are a robot if you don't no, have emotions. I, I don't remember the last time I cried, but the, but it's it's tough watching. I'm telling you, and then especially watching it with people like Alicia. I've n- I'd never seen Toy Story three before ever, and they're about to get incinerated, and she's fu- she's bawling. Oh, I was in the theater. Like, I don't know dying, what to do. Dude. I was well, and then, in the and then movie Andy, theater, ugly crying. Like it was amazing. <laughs> when that Andy that fat guy's crying up, behind me. Like, yeah. What? That music place. <laughs> well, and and like I was a kid when the first Toy Story came out, so like I was Andy's age, and like <laughs> it was like like they're making another one, and I'm like I don't know if I'm ready for that. You're like like emotionally, at, I don't like know. Looking at your mom, like are you gonna give my toys away? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was also like the kid when I was younger. I was like the kid who had a ton of stuffed animals, but I would like okay, you three can sleep in my bed tonight, and then I'd rotate to like make sure that none of my stuffed animals felt alone. Like they didn't. I didn't want any of them to feel left out. So I had to like rotate which stuffed animals like I played with, and I don't do that. I just pile them all into one under blanket, put the blanket next to me, and then have a separate blanket. There you go. Because I can't have them all on my side, or I just overheat. Ashley, yeah. not a special guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he's going to get credit in the episode for sure. Oh, sweet. Now I'm too late. Too yep. late. Too late. <laughs> it just decided. Yes. You're always welcome. There's also a picture of you eating out of a bag of <laughs> spaghetti. That, that'll be the cover the... art for iTunes. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> like, People will be like, what is this? A very special, and we very mean special. special. Who is that kid eating spaghetti out of a bag? <laughs> <laughs> Someone should get him real food. <laughs> I feel like we're an Donate. hour in, and people still don't know who we are anyways, so. It doesn't matter. Juan, Gabe, tell people about yourselves. Uh, so I'm Gabe. This is Juan, co-host yes. of uh, Thinking Outside the Long and Box John podcast. is John's around. I'm <laughs> John. Wow, that is you. Yeah, I it's thought just, that was John. It's just me. There's His no pants John. fell There's off no John? all of a sudden. There's actually no John. It's just me making a funny voice. Mm. <laughs> we can we can't uncredit John though. He'll no. won't so let it was us you that sent me down. those comics. Thank you so much. <laughs> so uh, we do Thinking Outside the Long Box podcast. We are the a- longest episodic show on Baron Space, by yeah. the way. Oh, God, yeah. We have long episodes. Well, and the most episodes. Long, we surpassed them a long episodes. time ago. You are our flagship. You yeah. kept going when everybody We're else Monday didn't. Night Raw, damn it. Yes. Are we really? <laughs> yes. I, see, I didn't They're know that Smackdown. about us. They so, might be Sunday Night Heat, actually. No, or, or Main Event. <laughs> <laughs> their main event yeah like, that's more like, like it Rusev. Saturday night's main event twice a year people tune in to Saturday Night Live and go what is this yeah that's so, us so here, here's here's the thing about Baron Space like I know that we're on the Baron Space thing I have listened to at least Baron an Space episode Network. or two of like mm-hmm. every show that that's on Baron Space but like I have no idea what's going on like I just show up for our podcast oh, 11 just yeah. finished not yeah. too long ago um, what else? We have, a we have Frequency, but that frequency. got canceled, didn't it? Uh, the show actually got canceled, yes. Yeah, but we have so. like four episodes in the can that right. need to be edited and upped. 
Nice. And then now we've got the Roddy McDowell, uh, not yeah. not yesterday's podcast. Not just or yesterday not, with Zoe yeah. Dean. Came aboard just recently. So Planet of the Apes. Uh, no, yeah, I don't. I don't. I. I, I. The only thing I knew him from was Planet of the Apes. Yeah, me too. I'm so, totally guilty of that. And one episode of Quantum. But that's Leap, okay. Right? Like that's the point. You probably don't know no. like half the shit we talk about because. No, but I laugh. Stuff she was talking about. Why are you all looking at me? I'm not. I'm looking. I'm looking at him. <laughs> no, like every day. He keeps looking at me. Like like I'm gonna react. Oh man, we do this to every show we're on. <laughs> hey, we're an hour in. That was pretty good. Usually it's about so, ten minutes. <laughs> Ten. How dare you, sir? Five. You still you. didn't explain what we anyway, do or who so we are. We do, a, we do a pop culture podcast. We talk largely about comic books, comic book based television movies, things like that. Like the the genesis of it had to do with Juan and I both like knowing each other from a comic book shop, collecting comic books, and loving that sort of stuff. Uh, we talk about, I mean, everything that you guys are watching, like all the Marvel movies and TV shows, the terrible DC movies, uh, <laughs> like, and just kind of, it's gotten to the point where we just talk about whatever interesting yeah. pop culture tidbits we want to talk about. Um, and sex. Tons and tons of interviews. Yeah, we do a tons lot of interviews. of interviews. The last uh, episode had how many? Twelve. That's ridiculous. I yeah. thought four was crazy. <laughs> and, you know, what's cool, though, is it like gives us a chance to talk to people like... You know, you look at a guy like Jim Shooter. Like he was the managing editor of Marvel. Like he worked, he started at DC, became the editor at Marvel. Has literally seen the ins and outs of the business since like the fifties. And to be able to sit down and talk with a guy like that for like fifteen minutes, like people, people don't understand that like those guys are going away. Like they're slowly dying. Like Lin Wein died last Ugh. week. You know, and that's like a killer because I would have loved to have talked to him, but. You know, we're trying to jump on to those people and find out what was it like, what was life like, you know, where were you going with this? All of those things, you know, are important. And then on top of it, we get to talk to a lot of like new and independent comic book writers and artists, people that are starting their own thing for the first time. It's it's just like it's an amazingly fun thing, and it obviously it's captured my attention for three years, so it's pretty good cure for my ADD, I guess. <laughs> we have an old segment. Old... That's kind of why, you know... Why, and I... our, pop, our pop culture classic. I'm super stoked. So uh, one of our Patreon levels, which you can find out about at www.patreon.com slash TOTLB, uh, you can... One of our Patreon levels, you can determine once a quarter what our pop culture classic is. So my friend Doyle tells me that his methodology behind picking the movie is how can I torture at least 100 and 150 <laughs> people for like two hours? So like this this episode is his first pick because mm-hmm. you know we we deferred it one episode for the sex episode because we wanted to watch Orgasmo mm-hmm. or I wanted to watch Orgasmo. Great movie, great movie. One hated it. It's he didn't amazing. like it. No, he doesn't think things are funny. Uh, but yeah, so we get to watch over the top. Oh, that's <laughs> Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling, right? The arm wrestling trucker yes, movie. Yeah. Yes. Oh, where the arm breaks in that movie. Yes. Oh man. What then? I think is funny. Anything. He said anything. You don't think anything's funny? I think a lot of things are funny. <laughs> I don't like Orgasmo. Trey Parker is horrible. Really? See, I yeah. I, I don't, don't think he's funny. That. I don't no, think he's funny I like at anything all. they do. Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Cannibal the Musical. It's just oh, dumb. I hate that. You didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Side note: He's our resident angry, grumpy bastard. Like I, I he's the one who's angry at everything. Absolutely. Everything. <laughs> uh, 
I, all I know is I laugh my ass off every time I hey, listen for the to the, record, the thing is the th- <laughs> <laughs> I'm known for the one who loves everything that's that's me I, on feel, the show. I feel like I've softened my stance a little bit because like I've I've gotten to the point where like we've watched so much stuff and not all of it is stuff that I've liked and read so much stuff that I don't necessarily like but I can look at a movie like I can I can look at this episode of Quantum Leap and say look the acting's not great the writing's not great but hey I've never made a television episode like they did that. They right. made that happen. The biggest of this of the episodes I could never accomplish. Exactly. Like it's right. still So you got to give them that. It's yeah. still a I mean it's still a big deal. They made an hour long television. And it's episode. a part of of a, a series that I absolutely love to do. I and love like, Quantum Leap. That's many, the whole reason episodes, we started. It's How many the, total episodes of Quantum Leap are there? Well, actually, there are 97 <laughs> episodes, Dave. So, in the grand scheme of things, you arrogant... <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make me look bad. I will show you up every time. <laughs> I think Heather's enjoying this. So, in the, grand, in the grand scheme of things, one bummer episode out of, like, 100, that's pretty I good. can't believe they didn't make 100. Yeah, uh, they that's were really crazy. short. I, I remember... Uh, um, Scott Bakula talking about that, just shy of 100. That's crazy. That would drive me nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so weird about stuff like that that I'd be like, come on, just let's do a three episode miniseries. <laughs> well, they were hoping for like a TV movie. Right, right. Didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the worst television I've ever watched. Absolutely but as like, not. I have yeah. high standards, I think, for Quantum Leap. But also, when there is one like this, then the next great one is going to be that much better. Right. Because you're like, oh, good, we're back to regular Quantum Leap. <laughs> like, at least it's not that dumb magic. I don't. <laughs> I don't remember another episode where I'm where I literally am like, oh, that was terrible. Before we watched it, I was like, ah, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can remember not liking this episode, but I don't remember of any other ones really. I remember as a kid, I liked this episode because it had to do with magic, and I was always into magic, and I was putting on magic shows and all, everything like that. But even the magic in this episode, even though they had a magic advisor who we talked to later in the show. You know what's funny? What? He's in character the one time he's on the screen. Like, yeah. you see him in the thing, and he's like... Like, he has this face that's so, like, magician-like. Like, it's I'm so weird. Yeah. Well, it was probably written in like that, I'm sure. I'm going to blame the writers on that. We're going to just uh, throw the writers under the bus. But on there's, like, there's not actual real magic in No, the, the magic so, like, in it was kind of poor. I mean, but, they did the song Sam The Lady in Half. But so- Sam doesn't know that, that I can say, like... It shouldn't have been good. That's a good point. Right. Like it That's shouldn't true. have been like That's Sam true. shouldn't have been like, let me leap in and know exactly. Because sometimes <laughs> that happens and I'm like, he does you know don't how know. To pick a lock, which I he found knows, he knows how to do a lot of things. That was like, weird. He knows how I to like, fight. He knows language. He does know a lot of things. Right. Like, I feel like he should have known how to pick a lock, but normally he leaps in and you're like, how come you, between you and Al, you know everything about everything, then you just leap in and you're like, yeah. But what kind of magician makes it so that you have to pick like a real freaking lock when there's tons of metal steel trying to no, come down no, on no, you? That makes no, no, no magician. sense. That, it, it was, the writers didn't realize, I don't think, about how magic works. So why that table magic of- consultant? I, I don't think they listen to him. <laughs> Honestly, because like, that was not a magic table of death. When you design an illusion he was called magic something of death, the first thing you do is make sure there's no way it can kill you. <laughs> yeah. So the spikes would be rubber, or they would go into the top of the table, or something. 
to make or, sure you don't dip. Right. right. Or it would never fall all the way down unless you already. Or it's got like some kind of false switch. bottom or something. Yeah. Yes. Or there's a switch no to make it stop. Like, there's no way to make this stop. No, you're yeah, just going to die. I thought that was weird. Like, it has no fail safe. It's like, well, I mean, for the act, it has no fail safe. <laughs> right. In reality, that has to have a fail right. safe. Exactly. Because but, I'm pretty sure that's against a buttload of state and federal laws. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sure they didn't listen to Dan Birch because he would say, no, there's no way that we would get into something that would kill us. Right. But then what happens to the episode? There's no suspense. There's no danger. And I think me and Juan were talking about it while we were watching it. Uh, the continuity errors for the table of death right. were just ridiculous because in the beginning of the episode, the shackles chains. were yeah. un- not on no, chains, but at the end they were on chains. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, like when he first Does is it go back and forth? And he can't undo the lock he like rolls off because mm-hmm. he's not shackled by well his no no leg. no but so so the first thing is the daughter showing him how it works and it's literally stationary and she's just picking the lock and it opens and it opens all four and then she locks him in and then all of a sudden it has a chain because he can get his arm, out of, get his arm out of the way it's, it's it's really odd it just makes no sense like why can't she if it's if the chains are long enough why can't she just kind of roll, roll off because yeah, she only and has also, one arm attached right like yeah there's only one arm attached she, and it was attached she, like, to a chain sticks the the pick in there and goes doot, doot, and all of the locks open there's right. no way that happens yeah, like, that yeah. can't that's got to be a trigger. Like that's a trigger mechanism, which yeah. is a failsafe. Right, like, that's like the you, way that's you, supposed to work. you hit it with your foot or something. Yeah, but it just it was weird. It, it was magic for people that didn't understand magic. Well, it wasn't really magic though. It was like an escape. An escape. escape. It wasn't like, an illusion. It, it was more it was like an illusion. a Houdini kind of thing. Not not a magic show. And like, like how how did that go for Harry Houdini? <laughs> he did. Right. Well, he David, did. David, <laughs> David, David Copperfield did like a table of death thing, something very similar, but in that the illusion is it actually impales him but then he's okay because he disappeared and he's right, back right, somewhere right. Else on a motorcycle with some fog or something <laughs> but that's the illusion and this the, there's no illusion the statue yeah, of this is, yeah. Yeah. Like, exactly. we're on the great wall of china yeah yeah like this is just like a, a timed like challenge it's not yeah that's not and Maybe it is the whole, like, it was added later, so they didn't ask the magic consultant. Like, maybe it was, you know what I mean? Like, maybe because they did add it later, maybe it was just like, oh, well, let's add this thing and let's make it like this. And even maybe the magic consultant was like, ah, yeah, but no. And they were like, but we have to do it this way because, you know. (laughs) That's not how that works. I know because I'm the best. (laughs) (laughs) She's, like, showing him how to do it, and all of a sudden she can't get out of the freaking mechanism. Well, she obviously built it, right? (laughs) Yeah, So she knows how, because he didn't, because he does what's called, like, push-button magic, where he just buys the trick and does it, because the song The Lady in Half is, like, push-button magic. pull my head. Yeah, she's in control of the whole trick. Luckily, that was good. Like, I think the magic consultant had something to do with that, because that's a trick that the assistant takes care of everything. So Sam didn't have to know anything. He was just following the on stage the the on stage cues yeah. yeah the cues so that 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 made a lot Which of sense. Which is all turn me yeah. around. <laughs> yeah, the guy in the front row definitely didn't hear you say that. <laughs> she said, "Turn me around, <laughs> turn her around." Good God, he did turn her around too quick. So they turn him around at that first scene, mm-hmm. and you look out over the crowd, and it's just a random bunch of black dudes <laughs> with big afros, <laughs> with big afros and yeah. stuff that mm-hmm. looks like B footage from like mm-hmm. an old Shaft. like. It was it was it was after like something like that. I was like, where? Why? That seems like a weird (laughs) group of like 
What, Where black people can't like magic? magic or what? Okay, A, I watch a lot of America's Got Talent. <laughs> and the way the typical black person on television reacts to magic, no, they don't watch magic. I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be horrible, but every time David Blaine or whoever is on there and they go into like the inner city and they're doing magic for like this disenfranchised right. group of people they react very poorly right like and i don't know if that's just the way the television is cut to like reinforce this weird stereotype in my mind that it black people be. hate magic but every, <laughs> no like every time i see that on tv or on the internet or ever the reaction isn't yay that was a good trick it's you're the devil get off my street like that's real magic I mean, yeah. that is mm-hmm. David Blaine probably is the devil, David by the Blaine. way. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of boring. At the very least, he's he crazy. sold his soul. Like, yeah. At the very least. But, I mean, just... just It was stock footage, When they turn obviously. around, yeah. I was just like, that seems like a weird place to do magic. Like, that seems like there should and be it, a stripper pole there. And instead. it says magic here nightly. Yeah. Which makes no sense either. Yeah, because what For that crowd has magic nightly? <laughs> nightly. And it's packed. <laughs> no, they're all there packed. to see James. Like no, it's people not. There. But why would that draw in crowds? Magic <laughs> night. Why would you bother to watch? They were like, trying to watch the young old lady. <laughs> Who, Jamie? Oh, obviously, there is another act there. Oh, so yeah. They that, have multiple acts. So that lady that oh, comes yeah. in, is she They booked them together. Magic yeah, assistant? they were together. I didn't think that. I thought she was like some other entertainment, and they booked both acts. Clearly a stripper. You think so? <laughs> no. Or like a singer or something. A singer, and maybe they did a lounge like a singer. I'm yeah, because they were booked together for three weeks. I think is what it was supposed to be. What a bizarre episode we watched. <laughs> I told you they brought us in on the one we could. On. <laughs> so there's a lot more to talk about. But why don't we go to an interview with Dan Birch? He was the magician in the mirror and the magic the consultant. consultant, and he's the best. <laughs> He is the best. He's the best. He looked like a magician. He's, he's my favorite interview on this episode. He he's going to make his interview disappear. <laughs> his interview is amazing. There are those who entertain with tricks, but Dan Birch performs magic. Good evening, I'm Scott Bakula. Each week on Quantum Leap, I do magic. Well, TV magic, by leaping back in time into someone else's body. The gentleman you're about to meet, however, performs magic in a way I've never seen before. So please, sit back and give your undivided attention to the magic of Dan Birch. Thank you for joining me today, Mr. Dan Birch. I'm so excited to talk with you. Uh, this episode of Quantum Leap has been one of my favorites when I was since I was a kid because I was always into magic. I was a magician growing up. I was in the American Society of Magic. I just I love the magic mixed in with Quantum Leap. It was two of my favorite things. And uh, what I want to talk to you about is uh, one how you got into magic and also your experience with Quantum Leap and and how you became the magical supervisor to that episode. So. Uh, could we uh, start off by uh, just uh, telling us how you got into Quantum Leap? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, back, in, that was, what year was that? Man. Um, 90, maybe? 
Yeah, right around there, early 90s. So my sister was working at Universal Studios, and uh, of course, I was kind of just starting working cruise ships, and I was working at the castle. I was kind of new at the castle as well. Uh, So she had a friend named Deidre Pratt, who was Deborah Pratt's daughter, and Deidre had horses, and I used to ride horses, uh, actually race horses, uh, 10 years before all this, and uh, she wanted to go horse riding. I guess they had a couple of horses that they needed ridden. So we went horseback riding with her on their horses, and we were talking about my magic. And um, I believe I played at the castle uh, close to that time, so we invited her out, and she came out and saw the show, and and they liked it quite a bit. Um, So then when this script came up on Don Belisario's desk, Deidre, I believe, worked in their office because I remember she saw the script and she said, oh, I know the guy would be perfect for the mirror image. Um, of the magician and as well as the magical consultant. But in any event, so they put a bug in Dawn's ear and then the call came about being a uh, technical consultant from, I believe his name was Harker Wade, um, one of the producers, I believe he was. And so I took that and um, then we had a, a meeting skipping forward to when the production began we were in a meeting. They hadn't cast the show yet. Um, and there was about a dozen people in there. There was the director. There was Don Belisario. There was um, uh, directors, Don, producers, quite a few people. And when they, they were talking about the different roles in the, in the episode, and then when they got to the part of the mirror, the magician mirror image of Scott, who would look in the mirror and who would see his face, Don Belisario said, oh, our, our technical consultant, our magician consultant looks the part. Why doesn't he just do it? And nobody really said anything, so it was kind of like, okay. Well, at this exact moment, we're sitting at Universal Studios in this meeting room. There was also auditions for the Mirror Magician taking place, and I could see magicians walking into the audition room um, just outside the window where we were sitting. And he said, okay, you've, basically you've got it. And the interesting thing about this, the reason I'm mentioning it all is because, you know, I've gone out on auditions and I imagine a lot of people maybe that hear your podcast have gone out or do go out on auditions. And a lot of times we're down on ourselves as to why we didn't get it. And we think we, maybe we held our head wrong or we stuttered or this or that. And at that point I realized how almost fickle it kind of can be because here a decision was made that I would get that job and you still have people auditioning and they had no idea what took place. And I kind of felt sorry for him in a way, but it kind of opened your eyes that, hey, you might be going out on something that maybe doesn't exist. And it's not has nothing to do with your fault if you don't get it. It just happened to be the way the cards fell in that situation. And it's something that I've always kind of really left a big imprint on my mind because it was kind of sad seeing magicians go in, you know, with their stuff and everything and hoping for the part. But it just wasn't going to happen, unfortunately. Um, so circumstances are strange in that business and don't ever get down on yourself if, if you're not getting it, um, unless you're sure it's you that's making mistakes because, uh, sometimes there's some other politics and speaking of politics. So at the end of that meeting, the director, his name was James Whitmore. I don't know if we should mention that or not, but, yeah, um, that's all right. it was an interesting, it was an interesting thing. He came up to me right after that meeting and he said, listen, he said, you still don't have the part. Don't get your hopes up. Um, and, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll know more about that later. 
And it was kind of an odd situation because here's Don Belisario saying you've got it. And here's the director. And I think maybe what happened is maybe he's promised somebody something ah. or something along that line. I don't know. That, again, there's a lot of politics. It's unbelievable. And the passion behind it, too, um, for who's going to be doing the favors to get somebody in on a part. But um, what it really came down to, I think, was that, you know, through the Deidre, then you have Deborah Pratt, and that's the mom, and she, I think, convinced Deborah, and I think Deborah was who convinced Dawn. And and at that point, it did end up getting solidified, and I was the part. But, yeah, a lot of politics for that. Um, sort of um, had none of that happen, had my sister not been at Universal, had Deidre not, I'm sure, talked with Deborah, and had Deborah not got to Dawn, no way. It would have never happened. And it was just, it was a real lucky uh, shot for me. That's awesome. So that was pretty much how it happened. That's awesome how that worked out. Um, you did look the part. You looked like a magician. Uh, was that was that in your normal look, or did hair and makeup make yeah. you look more like a magician? No, it was that was that is my act. My act has very much to do with the, the traditional look of the magician or the real magician, the guy that can hopefully really go out and do magic. That's been the goal of the act ever since I started in, oh, God, 1985, 86. How did you get into magic? How did I get into magic? magic? Yeah, being a magician. Was it a, like a boyhood passion, or, or when did it start? Um, it, it, at age 12, I, I saw a uh, show. We went and saw Andre Cole in a magic show. I really liked that, and I recall also back in that time, we we um, went to Disneyland at the magic shop, and, and it just kind of grabbed me, and, and I'm not sure why. I think first was the magic shop, and then we saw Andre Cole, and then and then Dove Magic, and I remember having a, a Tarbell, not Tarbell, a Tannins catalog, Londano's Dove production or something that talked about a magician showing a scarf empty and producing a live dove from it. And man, I just, it was like a magnet. I had to do that. I, I just thought that was the coolest thing. And, you know, when you're young like that and way back in that day, I guess it was kind of a big thing. So I, I just had to do it. And it's been with me ever since. Awesome. For me, it was uh, Harry Blackstone Jr. I saw him, and I was actually one of the kids he pulled up on stage for the uh, Dove Cage, I think it's called. Oh, and uh, yeah. I was right there, and I it just disappeared, and I was like mind blown at like seven years old. And from then on, I got books from the library, ordered catalogs, and I was I was on my way. It was it was awesome. a different time back then. Uh, you didn't have the internet where you could find out anything about anything in two minutes. You really had to research and practice and learn and have friends. and uh, Do you think the magic is different today than it was back then? It's very much different. Very, very much different. Um, and I, I don't know how much I should get into all that because I think some of it is degraded. I think some of it is turned um, too, too camera trickish. Mm -hmm. And I think back in, probably back in the 80s, late 80s, uh, where I saw it almost at its best, when you had a lot of good jobs, you had a lot of good acts, there was a lot of money involved, and, and they were doing honest acts. Uh, you could do a, a show for a live audience back then, and, and for the most part, that's that's how it was done, other than some of the camera, uh, maybe close-up stuff. But they kept it pretty clean. And I think over the years, people got a little bit hungry for maybe performers for getting it too good to be true. And all of a sudden, it loses its its integrity, its it being genuine. And you can tell, you know, when you're watching magic that's genuine versus maybe slightly altered with camera tricks, with audience stooges and all the other things they're doing. As an audience member, I think it kind of reads. And I think that we've lost some of that, a lot of that. 
And I just think the acts were better when, when it was live and truly capable of doing for a theatrical a live theater audience. I felt that the magic was better. And, and again, there was, there were good jobs for us back then, but it's, things have changed a lot. I agree 100%. It's almost like you're watching someone act like they're a magician versus them actually being a magician. Yeah. And you know, um, it's kind of, maybe it's the evolution of it all, but, um, I, I'll stick to, I, I, you know, I do a bird act as my main, my main act. And I find though that today, in my opinion, audiences are better than they were for me. And I think it's because somewhere they realize that, Hey, you know, this is real life. This isn't, uh, the camera stuff where, you know, you can do anything out of anything. And, and, and suddenly you think you're the greatest thing on earth, but, uh, uh, that they kind of sense it. And I think audiences are savvy. I think they're, they're picking up on it. And I, I like honest magic. I, it's really, um, I guess it, it turns me on it. It, 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 you know, it, it makes me, uh, makes me tick. So, um, you know, some, some might see that as old fashioned, but I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go into, uh, the, uh, technical advising on the episode of quantum leap, could you tell me a little bit about the two mirror gags that were in the episode and how those were accomplished? Yeah. You know, they, uh, say how they were accomplished. Um, I was standing next to Scott. Um, uh, he walked up to the mirror and I was standing next to him and I think that the camera just pans or something. So it's seeing him and then it's seeing me. I, there, there was no, um, I know I mimicked him, um, as he made the expression and I think it was just a panning of the camera. If I remember, it wasn't a camera edit though. They, they had somehow with the, the angles, but I, it seems to me I was just standing right next to him. Awesome. Um, uh, did you double it all for Scott and then ups or anything like that? No. Okay, cool. Uh, teaching uh, Lauren Woodland, the little girl who played Jamie, uh, the, um, what is it, coin matrix? Is that what it's called? Are we talking about the the, 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 the guest star? Yes, and uh, she did the uh, close-up of the four cards and the four coins, and they pulled out, and it was her actually doing it. Did you have to train her how to do that? Oh, my goodness. It's been so long. <laughs> it um, has been a long time. It's been a long time, but I would suspect the answer is yes. Um, cause none of them really were magic, uh, enabled people per se. So I did, gosh, I don't even remember that scene. That's bad. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience being the magic consultant. What does that consist of? And like, uh, what did you have to do? Did you like review the script and say, this works, this doesn't work. Or did you have to make up the you know, tricks? It's a really good question. Um, so when I got that, you know, I was fairly new with magic because I just started really kind of going professional. So I was still learning and I had my act and I was learning a lot. And back then um, I was from Sacramento originally and I was kind of just out of Sacramento or kind of in transition of leaving Sacramento to L.A. And uh, I had a good friend back then and he's still in Sacramento, I believe. And his name is Milligan the Magician, Troy Milligan. He's a really, really great guy. I've missed him over the years, but he, I discussed it with him, and he had given me some ideas. Um, there was a there was a scene where they had he, he takes his coat off, and all these tricks and sponge balls and rings are flying out of it. And he had given me some of those ideas. It, it, um, he'd mentioned having to do something like that, and he was talking about the sponge balls and the rings flying out of it. So, yeah, I grabbed that idea because you know I 
I don't know where it would have gone if it was just up to my ingenuity at that point. And it's, I really uh, appreciated his, uh, just his tip because, you know, I did learn, we bounced ideas off each other a lot and, and he certainly had better ones than me. He'd been in magic a lot longer than me. So uh, we had a lot of good times back then, but I, I got to give him some of that credit. And then the other stuff, you know, you'll see dove magic happening. You know, he had the dove and balloon that goes off. Those are tricks that I had, um, of course, because I was into doves. So I'm always seems like that's the more natural thing for me to, to deal with. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there was, it was a lot of fun. Scott was very good to work with. Uh, he was just, he came out to the castle and saw my act as well. And I don't know if you've ever seen my promo tape, but he also filmed an intro for me on it back then. I kind of seized the opportunity as best I could. But um, yeah, they were very good. They learned very fast. At, at one point, I recall Scott got burned. We did something with some flash fire or mm-hmm. something. And I know he got a, a little burn on him and it was maybe we pushed it a little too far. And, you know, he was really cool about it. He's like, oh, what's a burn amongst friends, you know? <laughs> he was just that kind of a guy. So, yeah, it's scary when the star gets, you know, any kind of an injury. Kind of got to be careful. But, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And, by the way, at the end of that whole episode, talking about James Whitmore, um, he basically – I recall when that happened where he was kind of against me getting that part. My sister had – she said, well, your job is to win him, you know, to make him – uh, appreciate you or be be happy, proud of you that you you were here. So I really went out of my way to work very hard on that. A lot of guys on the set, uh, other other the customers and stuff would say, you know, you're doing too much. Most of the times, the consultant just sits around until we need his help. And he kind of they kind of felt like that. But then at the end, James Whitmore came up to me. And it seemed like five minutes. It was probably about ninety seconds or so. He just he he up and down praised me and said it couldn't have gone better and he couldn't have been happier with the work I did. So that was really a great ending for, from that. But you, you had to earn it. You had to win them because uh, you could feel that kind of tension initially. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, did your uh, stint on Quantum Leap get you any work in the future from that? Like, did it uh, help? Well, you know, I did get Columbo. It was around that time I did that one as well. And I can't say whether it got it because of that or it was really another more of one of those inside jobs where my sister was working coincidentally. I think that was still involved with the universal job she had. And I remember that it was an assistant um, uh, on their desk. She saw it and she knew my sister knew that I did magic and she was able to get me in on that. So it seemed like in those situations, it was more of a who you knew quite a bit um, where that critical moment where they have to make a decision, the right person knows you. So the answer is, I'll have to say no to your question. Um, I don't feel like I really got a lot more other than residual checks, which every now and still come in. I think I just saw one for 63 cents. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's uh, funny how, how that works. But um, I wanted to um, ask you about you know, that, um, because you're in the opening. Uh, do you get paid every episode that airs because you're in that opening for a couple uh, of frames? Time, yeah, that was it was like a dozen episodes. They put that little quick flash on on the uh, what do they call it? The I want to say the trailer. The, yeah, the, the opening opening credits like. Yeah, I forget there there is a phrase for that. But yeah, I did get paid back then. Each week they they did era and then that kind of fizzles out after about uh, I think a year, year and a half or something and you don't see anything out of that. But then the episode itself would would still bring in some residuals. That's it's interesting what one quick little thing does can 
can do, how Hollywood works is amazing. I haven't seen the episode of Columbo with you in it yet, but I would love for you to tell me about it because I've watched a lot of Columbo and enjoy it, and I'm about to go watch that after we talk today. <laughs> so, oh, could, good. Could yeah, you tell me about that? It. Yeah, you'd love it. Columbo Goes to the Guillotine is what it was called. You might just, just Google that. Um, and uh, Chris Hart was in it. Um, Joycey Beck, I believe she was in it. Bruce Sinclair and... Uh, I remember he was in it, and, or he was at the thing. I don't know, maybe he was a technical. I'm not sure exactly what he did, or he actually appeared. Maybe they edited it out. Uh, uh, Colombo Goes to the Guillotine was pretty cool. Um, it was uh, it was about a, uh, was it a, a dead magician, and Colombo has to figure it out. And I produced a dove at the funeral scene. They had a, a funeral where the magicians were all dressed in white, I guess, and, and, and we each did a trick like paying our homage to the dead magician. And so I produced a dove and, and uh, Peter Falk kind of gasps and, and then I threw the dove up and it kind of represented the magician's spirit flying away. Um, so yeah, that it was, uh, it was a pretty cool episode. You'd probably get a kick out of it seeing some of, some of the boys back way back in the, goodness, early 90s, I guess. Again, right back around that time frame. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fun. I did, uh, I guess I just produced that dove on that particular episode at that funeral, I think is what it was. That's pretty awesome. What's your opinion on like, uh, magic versus TV magic, say like, uh, TV shows like Black's Magic or, or something like that, where they, they, uh, kind of show magic for, um, dramatic purposes, but it's not always accurate to what it would be in real life, kind of? I'm not familiar with Black's Magic. Oh, um, it was a good TV show. lasted one season. It was like a Murder She Wrote spinoff, but it had Hal Linden as a magician that solved murders. Okay, so kind of a mystery mm-hmm. kind of uh, scripted out show that's kind of using magic, but it's not really going to be a magician trick per se. Yeah, it's it's not really accurate to the to the magic tricks that exist. Like they like the people uh, showing the tricks on the TV shows aren't quite familiar with what they actually are i don't know if that's a weird question I, you know here's here's the way i see it if you're doing magic on a tv show as a magic trick as a performer then keep it clean because you're representing the art you're representing you know a lot of uh, us and but what happens is is you want to get everybody wants to one up the other guy and you know and and try to do the very best so now we can start altering things changing stooging um camera cuts uh, everything on the face of the earth, for God's sake, you're not even seeing anything that took place uh, <laughs> from the perspective of the audience. And I, I'm just not a fan of that. I, I, I kind of think that it's hurting the art a lot more than helping. I think it's, it's self-serving in some ways. And, but then at some point, as Bob Brown used to say, one plus one doesn't equal three. So, you know, you're going to kind of get caught up with, and when you actually have to do something to a live audience, you may not have anything. If you've always depended on that, that as a way. So the answer to your question is, if it's being presented as a performer actually doing something for a live audience, I would be against it. If if it's just part of a theme of a show and it's kind of known that it's sort of all BS, then I guess whatever, that's fine. That's just entertainment. And I, I, I wouldn't watch it myself because it doesn't interest me. But I usually just want to watch live performances by performers and see um, you know, what, what they're doing, you know, I agree. And, and you know, it's funny when, when they're doing the real thing, I, I think you really sense it. You really know it and you really appreciate it. Um, when it's in live and real time 
and it's not all the cuts, edits, and and then too good to be true kind of an ending. It's you get to a point where audiences are smart; they sense what's kind of going on. They're really not totally stupid, and I think they appreciate it when it's for real. I think they they uh, they 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 sense it. I, I think it is 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 kind of uh, uh, what is a reads a little bit. Yeah, you can and, you can tell. I think. I remember Bruce Block told me years ago. He was talking about kind of the word he uses, I think, bastardizing magic and all the camera cuts. And it, it goes back, obviously. I, it's not just necessarily the, the, the current guys, but it just has kind of crept in over the time, and it's just kind of one-upping, one-upping. But Bruce Block mentioned that he said, you know, if they do this bad enough, he said that eventually magic will be like mines, where the art has been completely, uh, who cares, uh, in the sense of where do mines work these days? And that was back, goodness, in probably early 00 when he was, we were t- talking about it. And I think that he had a good point on that, that you keep the integrity to keep keep jobs up, keep it honest, and and, um, and have integrity. When you go to your grave, I'd like to be proud of what I put out there, not feel like I, I had to get every nickel I could get in any way I could get it. Even though there theoretically are not rules in magic, there should be some etiquette and there should be some kind of some logic uh, some some form of I don't know if rules is the right word, but I would say etiquette, some form of respect to the art that you know if you can't even do it to a live audience, basically you're, you might as well just be watching Star Wars mm-hmm. or or a lot of you know everybody knows the movies are doing all those tricks, but bringing it into magic is just to me such a contradiction of what we're supposed to be doing. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, so what is the life of a professional magician like? Well, you know, I did it. I don't do it full time right now. I'm just doing it more for fun and sort of on the side. I do it. I have other businesses that I run. Um, I did it full time until about 9-11. And then I realized, you know, it, things are changing. Travel is changing. Um, and I use a lot of fire in my act and things. And I decided to kind of back off, start some businesses and then just do it when I want to, where I want to, how I want to, rather than just chase every show because, um, I've just been more lucrative doing other things. So the answer to your question is when I was doing it full time, you live a lot in hotel rooms. You live a lot on cruise ship cabins. Um, you travel, you're not at home a lot. So those things I think to me were negatives. Um, you know, and, and I was doing a fair amount of creating back then. And it's hard when you're on the road, for me, it's very hard to create. I need my garage. I need my my, you know, my saws and my drill presses and, and bandsaws, whatever, and things that I can create with and build things. When I'm away from that, it just really, it's almost like putting yourself with handcuffs on. You just feel like, okay, I'm doing the show. That's cool. It's going good. And I would always really work hard on the show and try to one up it each time and find something that I could get better, which never seems to end. But um, I like being at home too, though. So I can, you know, pick up some certain kinds of materials and start working with them, come up with an idea and start making it happen. That's that's a that for me was a big deal. So the answer to your question is, uh, as a full time professional, you are traveling a lot. You are living again uh, away from home, um, and um, and you know that's great. It's pretty awesome, and seeing the fruition of your act grow and, and accomplish things is a good feeling. Um, so it just it depends on what your goals are in the business. I had mentioned earlier that you know I do other businesses. I've started other businesses. The one thing I would say is don't be afraid to do other jobs. You don't have to be a full-time magician and only do it to depend on your living. Um, I think it's okay to have other stuff and, and even do it part-time. Honestly, my act has gotten better 
since I stopped doing it full time. And that's because now I don't really fly, but I drive it everywhere. I've got a, a good sized truck that I can just load it all up. But back when I was doing it full time, I would have to fly. And all of a sudden your act is becoming dictated by the airlines and how, you know, how, how hard it is to get how many bags and how much weight. And so you're always thinking small, 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 I got to travel, I got to travel. And when I kind of not decided not to do that anymore, then I started thinking bigger and put it in the van. And, and, and then a lot of things really got bigger uh, in that respect. And I think better. And um, maybe some of the others that I would work with that were full time, I would watch their act to keep sitting smaller and smaller almost. And it got to a point where I might be closing the show now when they maybe they used to be more of a closer. Now I'm closing because I have let the the bonds, the chains of the airlines rules of flying kind of go by the wayside. And I was like, oh, we'll just drive it there. And, you know, we'll we do a fair amount of that now on, you know, I, I everywhere I go, I do by by driving just because I want the show to be the way I want it to be. That's that's my goal. And that's what I want to do. And that's what makes me happy. Hmm. Have you ever created uh, an original illusion, like based with uh, you know obviously uh, magic uh, principles and different techniques, but like uh, a unique illusion that you're pretty proud of? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we I think the the one of the best was I call it the inner balloon popping illusion, or it's balloons with a Z. Um, it was where I would took a clear balloon and I I put a dark balloon inside of a clear balloon, put them in a plexiglass box, and at the at my command I would pop the inner balloon. Um, and today the technology has kind of come out, but this was back before OO that we'd created this, um, about in 2010 to 12, maybe 2012, David Copperfield saw it and he, uh, we sold it to him. So wow. at this point, I, I, yeah, he's got, he's doing it. At last I recall, he was doing it full every night in his show in Vegas. I went over and trained him, sold it to him and sold him a backup version of it. And, um, and it really it was really wonderful working with David. Um, but, um, so that one, it was not done in magic before that. I never saw it. I, the way I actually got that idea was I was at my machine shop building and we worked a lot in machine shops back then having guys help me build certain things when it got pretty technical and I couldn't do it. And there was a, a customer who was mentioning uh, something to the effect of a inner balloon popping without popping the outer balloon back in the sixties of, of another, you know, technology that was being used back then. And it was a very large apparatus that could do it. And so that immediately, I, all I saw was magic all over the idea. So then I, I worked very hard to come up with how we could put this together and had a couple versions of it. A friend, I met a guy named Jim Audette, who was a, a, a specialist in that field and um, that could get me to the answers I needed, if you will, and we put one together, and we finally got it up and running, and then did it for uh, a number of years. And then Copperfield saw it, and then he bought it. So that's where it's ended. And, and and now I cannot do it on television. In the agreement with David, he has the TV rights, and I I've kind of sold them to him. So um, yeah, so that that's the way that goes. But I'm I'm glad. I really it was such a joy to work with David. That's amazing. You know you know you did something good when David Copperfield buys it from you. Yeah, yeah, likes it. Yeah. Was he a nice guy, yeah, he, David? You know, that's a whole nother episode. But yeah, <laughs> David, I'll tell you, I'll tell you in a nutshell, he's, he's unbelievable. He's one of the nicest people you'd ever meet. He, he really has a, um, oh, very innocent or childlike view of life and of world and how he, you know, just sees that anything can do when he's hot on an idea, 
he will be up 24 hours a day till he gets it. And he, he does, I swear he doesn't sleep. He'll call you at 2 a.m. He'll call you at 7 a.m. He'll call you all hours of the day with ideas on how to improve it. Can we do this? Can we do that? He really is a true artist that, you know, I think his gift is taking an idea and taking it to the next level. Um, he's, he's just a master at all of that. But yeah, and he's, he's, he's just a really good-hearted person. Um, I had situations where I uh, needed people to get some kind of autographs for other situations, bad health and whatnot, and Dave was right there to take care of it. And he was just he, very good to work with, very, very kind guy. And, and, and back, uh, backing up to Quantum Leap, uh, thinking of Scott Bakula as well, uh, speaking of the good-hearted type, I'll tell you a couple little quick uh, Scott stories from that episode. Um, w- one of them was, well, the one that really stood out in my mind, two of them, actually, there was a scene where he and the little girl, I forgot her name, you mentioned it. Lauren Woodland. Yeah. She was having a hard time filming one of the scenes and Scott stopped the, the shooting and he took her by the hand. He goes, Hey, let's just go for a walk, you know? So they shut the, they shut the filming down. Scott went, there's like, they're like in, uh, I want to say warehouses in the studios there. It's just like, you know, how the, you have all these studios lined up at Universal Studios. And he took her out and they just went for a walk. And, you know, whatever they were talking about, I don't know, but she was just, she came back when they both came back, they kind of came back refreshed and she ran through and shot the scene perfect. And it's funny that he just had, he just took it on himself to say, we just need a reset. You know, let's just go talk about things and chill down for a minute, you know, because it was, it was such a problem and it it was amazing how they handled that. Um, And, and the other thing I remember about Scott on the set, one of the days was there was some kind of a mess or something that was out on the set. And I remember Scott just taking the bull by the horns. He literally walked over, he goes, listen, don't worry about it. And he just walked over, he grabbed a broom and he just swept it all up. He did it himself, and we went on with the shooting. And it was interesting that here's the star, you know, and he was humble enough to just he, – he really cared about that show, and he did things his way on that. He was kind of calling a lot of shots in there that he was controlling it, but he did it his way, and I think he, he had a very obviously a successful uh, show, you know. He's, but he, it's amazing how much he had his hands in. It makes me very happy to hear that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, you've got uh, an upcoming event. Could you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be playing at the Magic Castle November 13th to the 19th. That's in L.A., right? Yeah, that is in Los Angeles at the, uh, the Magic Castle in Hollywood. And they, they do seven nights, so we'll play all seven nights. I'm actually training a new dog for that, which would be, could be interesting. But I, I end with a poodle in my act. And um, let's see, I'm looking at, I just have a couple other dates uh, that are in the LA area uh, for its magic show. One of them is at the Cerritos Performing Arts Center. That'll be February 11th, which is quite a ways away. Um, And then the other, it's magic. They have one in Santa Barbara in the Lobero Theater. So, and that's um, March the 31st of 18. So, you know, like I say, we'll book here and there a couple things that just kind of keep it having fun. And for now, that's most of what I'm doing magic wise. Um, amongst all the other things that I do, but I, I get some really busy days here. I've, sometimes I'm working up to 18 hours a day. It's crazy. Uh, working there, do you get to meet Neil Patrick Harris? At the castle? Yeah. Yes, when he was president. He's, I don't see him there anymore. I think he's not the president anymore, so I don't see him anymore like it used to be. Oh, yeah, he was there all the time. Real good guy. Awesome. The last question I have. If there's a 
let's say teenage person, I, I won't say boy because uh, a girl could do magic too. But if there's if there's a teenage kid watching that episode of Quantum Leap and then listening to this episode and is fascinated by magic and wants to get started somewhere, where would you recommend they start? Um, boy, that's a really good question. Um, obviously, reading is good. I would say I would start in my mind. <laughs> I would start with developing how I envision magic, how I envision me doing magic, what can I bring to the table, what, what makes me tick as a magician, what, what do I want to bring into this world and as a represent, representative of magic. And, and once you can de- identify your character, your style, the type of magic that you see yourself doing or you want to do, I think that becomes your direction. And then you go out and you find the ways to make it happen. You might meet people. Um, and that can, you know, bring you to those goals. Um, um, you might read books, you might see other guys with similar styles, but of course you don't want to copy them, but you need to kind of, you need to also, I think, grasp, uh, theater and, and understand working a stage, what that means. Um, r- certain rules that are, are in stage work that I think are good to keep because when you don't, I think it, it, you, it'll hurt your performance on stage. So you, you want to learn a lot of those things, but I would start with whatever style, character, or you know, presentation that you see yourself putting over. If you just want to do just straight magic tricks, then that's fine. That's fun and everything, but I think it takes a little bit more to carry an audience with you uh, emotionally and get and follow you and stay with you, because they're going to follow you if you're consistent in the way that you're 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 presenting your magic to them, and that starts from inside your character and maybe higher goals than just doing the tricks. Thank you so much, Mr. Birch. Uh, it's been an honor speaking with you. Um, really fascinated with magic, and I, I love this the magic in this episode of Quantum Leap, and I really appreciate you talking with me today. My pleasure. Go to barrenspace.com slash questionable calls, a call-in advice show with Juan and Albie. If you are suffering from an unknown illness, have broken out in a funny rash, or feel a sniffle coming on, QC is not the place to go for help. Juan and Albie are not doctors. Their advice is for entertainment purposes only, and no action should be taken without the guidance of a trained healthcare professional. QC is not able to diagnose or treat any illnesses. It's just people thinking out loud and talking it out. However, if you have a comical story regarding a funny rash or a sniffle and care to share, feel free to do so as laughs are always welcome. Call, Skype, or send us a message on Facebook when it's your turn to be on the show, and we'll put you through. Our phone number is area code 970-400-7395. Our Skype name is QCalls BS. To the Project Quantum Leap and the Quantum Retrieval Sister Facility in Australia, you have been warned it is now 2020, and you have failed to prove that time travel is real one time too many. Your funding will not be renewed, unless, of course, the team in Australia can retrieve Dr. Beckett by 5 p.m., Today, sharp.
we have Quantum Leap creator Don Belisario. the star of the show, Scott Bakula. Hello, everyone. Hey, guys, how are you doing today? Really good. Terrific. <laughs> I mean, to start off, I mean, this show ended 23 years ago. Is it sort of, or 24, sorry. Are you sort of surprised that it's still so popular? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised because the Leapers were always great fans. Uh, of, of all the shows I did, the most fans I had were for Quantum Leap. So it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I'm curious. I mean, at what point during the show's run did you sort of realize it had gotten so big and had grown such a big fandom? I don't know that we ever knew while it was running, we were working so hard to make the darn thing, uh, but we knew that we were making something that was honest and that people really, really responded to and could relate to. And with a lot of, as you all know, with a lot of sci-fi, uh, if you can get people excited about the idea, they're with you forever. And here we are. He did it. I mean, on that note, I want to go back to the beginning, Di. I mean. How did you come up with the idea for this show? Where did, I guess, what inspired it? I had three ideas that I was working on, and I decided I'd do a time show, but to do a time show, I had to make it completely different from uh, the normal time show where somebody goes back to King Arthur's court or back into World War II. So I uh, just came up with the idea that he could only leap within his own lifetime. And that put a limit on it and, and made it mostly happening in the 50s when we made the show in the 80s. So that worked out well. <laughs> and I went into Brandon Tartikoff, who was then head of uh, NBC, and Brandon is now gone, was terrific. And I explained the whole concept to him. And he said, explain it to me again so that my mother could understand it in 30 seconds. So I did it in 30 seconds. He said, I still don't get it. <laughs> I said, your mother got it. <laughs> and I mean, from the beginning, did you know that you wanted to do a show that touched on so many social issues as well and not, it just wasn't a sort of a fun time travel show, but also dealt with real issues as well? Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't think about it uh, that this is what I want to do. I want to do social issues, but social issues came naturally to the show. And once we realized that, Scott and I started to do many issues that were fun, especially <clears throat> making him a woman <laughs> and doing the feminist issue back 23 years, 20 longer, probably 27, 8 years ago. And Scott, I mean, when you auditioned for the role, I mean, did you know that that uh, that the role said that would include you having to dress in drag occasionally? I did not. <laughs> but it wouldn't have stopped me from going in, obviously, because 
as Dustin Hoffman said, I can be a beefsteak tomato, so, uh, in Tootsie. No, I didn't, I didn't know that. I don't think anybody, I don't know, I don't think any of us ever imagined that this range and scope of the kinds of roles that uh, Sam could be a part of or lives that he could get involved in, including a, a test chimp for uh, NASA. Uh, I don't think we, that was ever part of a grand vision, but it just grew, and, and as the audience accepted it, because the first time uh, I was in the, in the life body of a, uh, an elderly uh, African-American driver in the Deep South, they bought it, and we followed that three episodes later with me in the 60s uh, in my little uh, pillbox hat and my high heels and my purse uh, in an uh, auto uh, in Detroit working as a secretary, and you guys bought that. And I think pretty much it was like, let's just go then. Yeah, it was, that's what it was. Every, every week we came up with something new, and we began to hit social issues. Uh, because they, we were able to do it and people accepted it and it made a difference. <laughs> I, I just want to say one more thing about that. Don always said, because I, we, Dean and I tended to want to push social issues and Don always said, what we're doing first and foremost, our job is to put on a great hour of entertainment for the audience. If there are things buried in every episode, or things that the audience wants to pull out and relate to, or accept, or dig deeper, that's so be it. But the idea was, and I think if you look at the, the breadth of his work, which is phenomenal, that he has always found relationships between his characters, the most important part of his shows, and found the truth in those relationships and then whatever goes on around them, so be it. But he always found that first, whether it be Magnum or NCIS or JAG or Tales of the Gold Monkey or any of those shows, I'm leaving 75 out, but he was always about the relationships and everything else grew out of that. Well, I mean, on that note, I mean, I was curious about, um, which I think one of the best things about the show, it was your, was, was your chemistry with Dean. I mean, was that there from the beginning? You asking me? Oh, no, oh, you know. Well, you, you watched. You saw it. I saw it. The chemistry was there. I mean, it was, well, Scott came in and read for the role, and uh, I played it very straight. And he walked out the door, and I said, that's the guy. Got to have him. And uh, Dean, of course, offered to do the role. And when Dean offered, we didn't, we didn't think... Uh, we would get him. I mean, he was hot on movies. He had just done Married to the Mob. But he did. And when the two of them got together, they began to work out their own little relationship. And they brought a lot of improvisation to the show. And it was terrific. terrific. Yeah. Dean and I, we kind of knew from the get-go, uh, from our first time we read together, that it was... There was something good there, and uh, you never can plan for that. You hope for it, but uh, <laughs> there's nobody like Dean Stockwell, and uh, we were the show was. I mean, it was in, he was an integral part of it in many ways, more important than me because he balanced out all of Sam's normalness and uh, with just his zaniness, which is this guy. He was writing Alan his image. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, Dean was, we got along great, and we uh, we had a ball working together. 
Dean did everything that was politically incorrect, and Scott did everything that was correct. <laughs> Put it that way. I mean, out of curiosity, I mean, was it hard writing? It was also hard starring on a show that only had two series regulars. I mean, I think that must have put a lot of pressure on both the writing staff and on Scott to be in every scene as well. Well, it, it wasn't a lot of pressure on me, but it was a lot of pressure on Scott because he had to prepare for the show we were going to shoot next week while he was shooting the show this week. So he's playing a priest, and next week he's an acrobat. He has to train during lunch hour to be an acrobat when he's doing the show about being a priest. That wasn't what it was, but that explains it. And that's a tough thing to do every week. Get prepared for the next week's show while you're doing the show that's uh, currently shooting. And every once in a while, I wouldn't have those scripts very far in advance. <laughs> no, sometimes it only get pages. It was a hard. It was uh, the hardest job I've ever done. Uh, I was on the set every day except for four days in uh, four and a half seasons, and I was usually the first shot of the day in everything all day long because I was the only person that carried the story, and then the only person that could see or talk to Dean. So I was I. I never got a break except when Dean was me and I was him, which only happened twice. So. Um, uh, it was uh, it was it was a challenge, uh, but I would never I would I don't I had great helpers I had great stunt people that helped me and kept me alive. The writers tried to kill me, and um, and I literally would get a script and say, okay, who's trying to kill me this week? And um, I, I survived, and I'm glad I'll never regret a day or, or a minute of being on that set. And. I mean, you also found time in there to also direct several episodes as well. Just four, uh, th uh, three, just three. No, I did not. He, he said no the first two years, and he was so smart. <laughs> I said, can I direct this year, Don? No. Thank goodness, because then I'm directing an episode. I'm, I'm starring in every episode because there was no break. It wouldn't, couldn't be, I'll direct the episode that I'm not in. That didn't exist. So I, I, I twisted his arm. So I would be shooting an episode, I'd be prepping an episode at the same time, then I would be finishing an episode, starting a new episode, and cutting an episode, and handing over a director, a director's cut to him. So it was like three weeks of insanity, and it was very exhausting, and happily, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I'm glad I got to direct them, I had a ball doing it, uh, but it, it, that added to a lot of stress. I mean, I think the other thing with the show is that every week you guys were going to a new location, a new period, a new town. I guess, was it hard on the production side to sort of turn around these new sets every, every few days? Well, we had a great team uh, on set construction, on design, wardrobe. We had a lot of really good people. And everybody loved making the show because it was easy to work with Scott. Of all the people I've worked with over 30-some years in the business, he has been the easiest, and that's the truth. But the reason the show is so good is because he is a stickler for detail. So if it was the wrong 
license plate on the wrong year car in 1953, we got it right. If, if those shirt collars didn't exist in 1974, we got it right. So he started from the top and that's seeped down to every level and made everybody care because they knew that the boss wasn't looking the other direction. He demanded everybody make the show as perfect as possible, which is almost impossible. Do It is impossible doing hourly television. But we did, if you go back and look at our shows, the detail is, is extraordinary and it's because of him because he just, it, he made it happen. Sometimes it went a little too far. Uh, I remember asking for calla lilies on an episode. I thought I wanted calla lilies on a porch. And then I noticed as the episodes went on, actually I didn't notice, but calla lilies kept popping up in every episode. And then one day, Greensman came to me and said, Don, we can't find any calla lilies in the United States. We have to go to Australia to get them. I said, what are you talking about? They said, well, you wanted calla lilies in every show. <laughs> no, I wanted them in that one show. <laughs> if you remember the show and you remember the last episode uh, in the bar, it was an exact replica of his dad's bar in Pennsylvania, down to the pig's knuckle jar on the bar counter. And he had pictures that he'd saved, and the, the, the pictures went out to the set designers and Cameron and everybody to make this bar correct, because I'm flying my family, his family, in to see the bar. And they all came from Pennsylvania, and they all had this huge flashback that they were in their uncle or dad, whomever they were, you know, however they were related. And Brother, it was it was amazing. That bar was amazing. The bar was uh, an exact duplicate of the bar. And to tell you how exact it was, uh, there was one wall that used to have a door that went through to another room. And that door had been sealed off and the wall painted over. But you could still see the outline of the door slightly if you looked real close. So I had them put that in. And they said to me, you can't see it. The camera will never see it. I said, I don't care. I know it'll be there. <laughs> so they did. They thought I was nuts. but <laughs> And maybe I was. Um, on the subject of the series finale, I mean, I think when it aired, and it, too, it's, it was somewhat controversial. I mean, looking back on it now, how do you guys sort of feel about the series finale? Oh, I... I, I loved it. I, it was emotional for me because it was my home. I was 18 years old uh, when the bar was replicated, or the, we replicated the bar when I was 18. And uh, the finale, I didn't want the show to end, but it had to. So... It was hard. It was, I was proud of that episode. Everybody was. Well, and you, and you should have been. It was a great episode. <laughs> Last episodes are always controversial. And I always say to writers, if you want to, if you want to challenge uh, more than writing just an hour of television, write an hour of television that is the last hour of television that that show will ever have on. Write it so that it could also come back next fall. 
write it so that it could possibly become a movie of the week, or write it so that it could still potentially be a feature film someday. And make everybody happy. And Don, if you go back and watch that episode, he he filled in all of those circles, he checked off all those boxes, and yes, not everybody loved it. My my 11-year-old son at the time, when he watched the show, he was in tears and wouldn't speak to me because he said, I don't believe you didn't get to go home. <laughs> and he was heartbroken about it. And I said, I gave him Don's number. I mean, the great thing, or the upside of uh, Sam not being able to go home, I mean, I think is... Uh, Right now, we're in this sort of huge sort of string of revivals and reboots. Um, I have to ask, is there any chance of this of Quantum Leap ever coming back in some form? Well, I don't know. I just, I just finished writing a Quantum Leap feature. I don't know what's going to happen with it. But I did write it. And did everybody I, hear that? He just finished writing a Quantum Leap feature. He has to clue you in. <laughs> um, can you tease what it's about? Like, is it? I guess how did you? I guess where did? I guess how did you come up with the story? That's something that's been tossing around in your mind for a while. The story for the feature? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, uh, it's I write things exactly the same way. I just start writing and I let it take me wherever it's going to take me. I'm entertained the same way the audience is. So I just put Scott and Dean in my head, kind of rebooted them, and went from there. I think if he keeps at it, someday he's going to be successful, don't you? <laughs> well, I think that's all the time we have. Um, thank you both for coming. This has been great. Thank you all thank for you, coming as well. Thanks, everybody. Good to see you all. Dean says hello. This is Donald P. Belisario, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. So That was an amazing interview. Dude, that damn Birch guy is... Magical. Magical. It was... It was... Captivating, amazing. That was cool. How he talked about the difference between like real magic and TV magic. It was pretty cool. So. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts. Now I get it more. Yeah, maybe, I don't get it. Maybe maybe we come away it. with a little bit better understanding of why it was like trash magic in the TV show. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame Dan. I, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame him at all. He so. was probably like, I, I helped with the whole episode. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, why in the world are they torturing those animals? <laughs> Oh man! Wow! Like I wish that we could rise to the caliber of the Quantum Leap of podcast. The Quantum Leap podcast, dude. Your interviews are so much better than mine. So much more entertaining. My favorite part is like when you say, "I'm so high. I don't know if I asked you this already, but I'm going to ask you again." Have I actually said that? Oh yeah, a few times. Have I really? I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty stoned. So. <laughs> it's very possible. I like that Serenity is looking at us like, "What are they doing?" So I guess. Uh, I, I guess Christopher DeFilippis has a segment too now that we're going to. All something about, about finding radios or something. All I like about that guy. radios in Quantum Leap. I is. hate Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get on keep Christ- that in. Make sure you keep that in. I want to get on Christopher's junk. So there, <laughs> come on, keep it in. He's gonna message me like, what the? F-? <laughs> <laughs> no, so. 
He's a radio enthusiast. Have, have you listened to the radio segments? So I haven't listened to the radio oh. segments, but I have been listening to like this really fascinating podcast about antique radios. <laughs> Which is really weird. Maybe it's so Christopher. I need, so I, really need, I feel like I need to go back and listen to the radio segment. Well, if you go to uh, theflipside.com, he has all the Quantum Leap yep. radio sightings. That's yep. what it's called. How crazy would it be if I've been listening to like, <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't realize it? Even though I've, oh, like, my God. Talk, I know him. Even though I've like talked to him like before and find him really I hate engaging. Christopher. <laughs> I will reiterate. That's twice. I want We're staying it junk. in there. We're staying, keeping it in there. <laughs> I want his body pressed against my body. <laughs> Well, you're not the only one. Yeah. I, I spent a weekend with him in, in Dallas. I'll never forget. And you had it pressed against your body. I tried. I tried. <laughs> he, he, he kept saying he was married and it wasn't appropriate. So. <laughs> and you were like, but, but we, Heather said it was okay. In stays in Dallas. But we did go antiquing together. So. <laughs> so you were kind of an old married couple. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. I want our relationship to be a little more slap bang than that. <laughs> well, like maybe, what you were talking maybe about earlier? Yeah, just a little. <laughs> and with that. Christopher De Fli- oh. Ooh, Christopher man. De Filippis. He's got a few Coronas D- in him. <laughs> Putting down my second Corona. <laughs> Christopher De Filippis with radio sightings. Let's do it. I'm Christopher De Filippis, and it's time once again for the Quantum Leap radio sightings, where I tell you about all of the vintage radios that appear on Quantum Leap. And here we are at season three, episode eight: The Great Spontini. Now, there's only one radio in the Great Spontini, and we've seen it on the show before. It's the 1949 RCA that appeared on the shelf in the restaurant kitchen in one strobe over the line, which aired earlier in Season 3. Now, if you recall, I pegged the radio as an Ivory 8X542 or a White 8X547, and who am I kidding? Of course you don't recall, because who else cares about this stuff but me? Anyway, the RCA is on a shelf in Spontini, too in Harry's dressing room at the nightclub. You can see it when Sam is kissing Elaine, parked between a bouquet of trick flowers and some weird, scary clown head. It's also visible when he's talking to Maggie and her sleazy lawyer boyfriend. But it's mainly out of focus, and I probably would have had trouble identifying it had I not seen it in one strobe. You might also recall, and I'm sure you don't, that I own this model radio in a different color. And being that Sam's leap date is 1974, the 1949-8X is far from anachronistic. In fact, the nightclub is so run down that I can easily buy that that radio has been sitting on that same shelf in-universe for 25 years. Now, this is the second time in the third season that I'm telling you about a radio that has appeared on the show before. The first was the Boulevard that showed up back-to-back in Misteep South and again in Black on White on Fire. But despite the magical premise of the Great Spontini, this is far from the first time that set decorators have used sleight of hand and recycled radios as background props. They did it a lot in the first two seasons, and I'll tell you about them all at some point in future podcasts. But if you can't wait, you can find all of the radios that have appeared in Quantum Leap up until this episode on my website at deflipside.com. Just click on the Quantum Leap podcast link and look for the radio dial. Until next time, radio fans, this is your Quantum Leap radio guru tuning out. So they weren't anachronistic, but it's okay. It wasn't the worst part about this episode. 
Worst part about this episode was the episode. <laughs> not the radio <laughs> No, that's not true. The episode was okay. The yeah, worst good. part is definitely the, writing? the theme song. The theme song? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> but Scott Bakula, please be on our show. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, like the theme song brings back so many memories, it's unbelievable. Like, you you love it or hate it? You love it. I love it. Now, I love both it. Both versions? There's two versions. So no, now, the lo- I like the shorter version, not so the longer now version. It's a little weird to me because I'm like, wow, this is like so dated. It's unreal. But I feel like pretty much like I feel like in twenty years the Game of Thrones theme is going to come on. And people are going to be like, "That is so dated; it's unreal." But see, the thing is about this show: there's not even though it is dated and there is a lot of old stuff in it. I'm because I have so many fond memories of the show. It doesn't matter to me. Like I'm enthralled with a lot of what goes on, and I don't notice any of that stuff. It's kind of weird. One thing that's interesting about it that prevents it from being like super overly dated is because it's a time travel thing. They're leaning on like this is the 60s, this is the 70s, this is the 40s, this is the 50s. They do so much of that that it doesn't fall into the trap of this is a 1980s right, sitcom. And right. It is awful and everybody's hair looks stupid <laughs> and everybody's clothes looks ridiculous. I'm right there with you. I know yeah. they do the disco episode. It's going to look like that no matter right. when you make it. They do. Well, they have the preview for the next episode where he's in the biker game. The 50s biker gang. I was like, oh, cool. It's the Wild Bunch. With I have Os- a confession Oswald to make. from the Drew Carey show. Oswald Cobblepot. I have a confession to make. I've never seen Rebel Without a Clue. What? That's a thing? I, I, I re- that was like the whole premise I thought of the that, that I've seen it all. That so I've watched so it all. So has Heather seen it? No. <laughs> that, would <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I, I watched ahead a little bit ago, and I watched three or four episodes ahead when uh, when we took a little hiatus, just so I got in the mood again a for Quantum Leap. Yeah, a little hiatus. And uh, little I, got, hiatus. I got to this episode, and I was like, I've never seen this episode. So I stopped, because t- this next episode is going to be the first time for me. Wow. It happens every once in a while. Even with an episode of Star Trek, I'll be like, okay, either I had a stroke, or I just never saw this one. You had a stroke. Pro- probably. for the very first time. We're going to owe them money. Oh, that's true. You can only do 15 seconds, right? That was way less than 15 seconds. (laughs) Is it 15 seconds? Is that the threshold? I think we've been at 30 seconds this whole time. (laughs) It was was 30. They said 30 on the beer podcast I edited. Cool. I I did like 28 seconds. I like 30. 30 is good. Heather? Heather's amazing. She agrees with 30. Regale us with something. Heather, come on. Would you like to introduce Quantum Deep? Quantum Deep? That sounds, that, like a, that, that sounds like one of that sounds like a TOTLB segment. That's Hayden segment. We're going deep, quantum deep. I wish deep. like my eye roll and head shake appeared on the podcast at that name in general. She just what? knows what quantum deep is from. It's an actual uh, porn parody version of Quantum Leap. Oh, well, I'll be looking oh, that. Yeah, we need to watch, we'll watch it. We need yeah, to watch it together. So it's so it's so bad. bad. We did watch it so bad. Like it's it's one of those ones where we're like, oh. This is horrible. So, so much, much hair. hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, also that. That right uh, there is our mind melt going. <laughs> We've definitely done enough episodes of TLTLB. Time to quit. <laughs> Doesn't get better than this moment right here. <laughs> hey, Leapers. This is Hayden the Wizard. Here, Quantum Locomodeep. Quantum Leap is threatened. Man the keyboards. Send letters. Do your duty to the fandom. I've always wanted to use that spell. What is magic? Magic is a concept that many talk about, 
but it's difficult to define, and when one does put some thought behind it, ends up uncovering more questions than answers. Does magic exist? If so, is magic something tangible? If not, is magic just illusion? Or is there a scientific basis behind what we see and believe? Is magic a sensory experience or a feeling? Or is there an element of the supernatural? Is it possible that magic is just a hand-waving technique to try to explain something that has been observed which does not yet make sense? Is magic the building of one's curiosity and the need to explore, to experiment, to look for patterns, to build or adapt knowledge, to attempt to solve problems? Is it possible that everything that doesn't make sense will end up with a rational explanation in future? You've probably noticed that my line of questioning ended up sounding quite scientific. In fact, the scientific method is a process of observing, generating questions, performing a review of research already undertaken to form hypotheses, carrying out experiments to test your predictions, refining and developing general theories. There's also the issue of repeatability, whether others can perform similar experiments and gain similar results or else falsify your claims. It is said that scientific advancement or any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So, it would make sense that when we think of things that seem mystical or unexplainable, that we naturally have trouble suspending our disbelief and naturally let our minds wander to try to think about how it has happened. There is a fine line between fantasy and science fiction. Fantasy is imagination. Science fiction is essentially the same as forecasting, but for entertainment purposes. Concepts like travelling under the sea or through the air or into space are commonplace today, but in the late 19th century, they were simply a gleam in the eyes of people like Jules Verne, who would look at what was currently possible with their technology and how it was advancing, and dared to imagine what would happen if you extrapolated on those advancements. Let's look at Quantum Leap. Back in the early 1990s, concepts like holograms, supercomputers capable of accessing information about anyone in any point in recent history, and handheld computers and communication devices, again just seemed like a fun way to make the show seem futuristic, but proved to be extremely prophetic. Now, in the 21st century, thanks to the internet, children have more information available at their fingertips than their grandparents had in their entire lifetimes. Everybody has their own digital footprint, especially with social media, and with portable communication devices able to instantly access whatever they like, able to build and shape the internet according to their own education and experiences. Holograms are also a viable option for communication, transmission of information, and entertainment. For example, to make the world aware of how ICT could be used to reduce the carbon footprint that one would normally leave by travelling on an aeroplane, in 2008, Prince Charles made his appearance at the World Future Energy Summit in Abu Dhabi as a three-dimensional hologram. We also have massive concerts with living singers performing duets with holograms of singers who have passed. Why, in 2019, ABBA will be going on tour with massive shows, with live bands playing the music, but with the performances by Agnita, Frida, Benny and Bjorn being holographic projections of their performances back in the 1970s and 80s.
Quantum Leap is also a fantastic demonstration of how people in the past would freak out by advanced technology as some form of magic. Sam and Al would often pass off their situation as something supernatural. Just a few of many examples. In a portrait for Troyan, Jimmy had been using a recording of his own voice to unhinge Troyan by having it recorded at such a high frequency that only animals and some women like Troyan would be able to hear it. He was trying to make her think that her late husband Julian wanted her to die as well. However, the equipment that Tim, Sam's host, had was also advanced enough to be able to pick up the audio of Al that was being projected into the past. This meant that Al's voice could be passed off as Julian to try and reassure Troyan and keep her safe. In A Little Miracle, as Michael Blake could see Al, and since Al was appearing as a hologram and could not be touched, Al could be passed off as the ghost of Christmas Future. He could also project archive video footage that Ziggy had accessed to show Blake's rather bleak future. This proved to be instrumental in convincing Blake to change his selfish ways. In Another Mother, Last Dance Before an Execution and Justice, since small children could see Al while others could not, he could convince them that he was an angel, and with the children's trust, was able to get them to carry out tasks that Al would otherwise not be able to do. And in The Great Spontini, during the divorce hearing, Al told Sam that Jamie was in danger of dying, which caused Sam to run from the courtroom. Maggie immediately believed Sam and joined him to try to help save Jamie. While this could have been extremely suspicious for any outsiders watching and could have been disastrous for Harry, as it was technically Sam's fault that Jamie's life was in danger, it proved to work in Sam's favour because it backed up the claim that Jamie had made that Jamie and Harry share a bond which meant they knew what each other were feeling. And Maggie was so grateful she agreed to let Harry have equal custody. As the science fiction genre seemed to rely on looking at scientific and technological advancements over recent history and looking at trends to make a prediction or forecast about what is likely to happen in future, it does pose the questions, how accurate are futurists with their predictions and what do futurists predict will happen in our near future? Let's have a listen to what Arthur C. Clarke, a well-known futurist and science fiction author, he wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey, predicted back in 1964 what life would be like 50 years later, our present day. Trying to predict the future is a discouraging and hazardous occupation because the prophet invariably falls between two stools. If his predictions sound at all reasonable, you can be quite sure that in 20 or at most 50 years, the progress of science and technology has made him seem ridiculously conservative. On the other hand, if by some miracle a prophet could describe the future exactly as it was going to take place, his predictions would sound so absurd, so far-fetched, that everybody would laugh him to scorn. This has proved to be true in the past, and it will undoubtedly be true, even more so, of the century to come. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. So, if what I say now seems to you to be very reasonable, then I'll fail completely. Only if what I tell you appears absolutely unbelievable have we any chance of visualizing the future as it really will happen. Let's start by looking at the city of the future. Some people think that it, it will be like this. And they're quite right. 
fact, everything you see now already exists. All the materials, all the ideas, these things can be put into practice immediately. But what about the city of the day after tomorrow, say the year 2000? I think it will be completely different. In fact, it may not even exist at all. Oh, I'm not thinking of the atom bomb and the next stone age. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough which has been made possible by developments in communications, particularly the transistor and, above all, the communications satellite. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other, wherever we may be, where we can contact our friends anywhere on Earth, even if we don't know their actual physical location. It will be possible in that age, perhaps only 50 years from now, for a man to conduct his business from Tahiti or Bali just as well as he could from London. In fact, if it proves worthwhile, almost any executive skill, any administrative skill, even any physical skill, could be made independent of distance. I am perfectly serious when I suggest that one day we may have brain surgeons in Edinburgh operating on patients in New Zealand. When that time comes, the whole world will have shrunk to a point. And the traditional role of the city as a meeting place for man would have ceased to make any sense. In fact, men will no longer commute. They will communicate. They won't have to travel for business anymore. They'll only travel for pleasure. It is freaky just how accurate his predictions were. While it might not be an exact process, it is clear that there is some validity to forecasting as a science. So, what do futurists predict is in store for us in the near future? Humans and machines will be intimately merged. Instant communication devices will be implanted to move from an internet to a brain net. Everything that one could possibly want to access or upload can be done so instantly simply by one's thoughts. It is even possible that this instant uploading and downloading from one's thoughts could make it possible to read each other's minds. Neurotechnology will be used to reprogram human biology, deactivating dangerous or diseased cells and reactivating damaged cells. Most genetic diseases will be eradicated. Artificial limbs will be attached and controlled entirely with one's thoughts, and replacement organs will be grown from stem cells and 3D printed, thus eliminating the risk of organ rejection. Speaking of 3D printing, nearly everything will end up built through printing. Most structures will be constructed through printing, and food and pharmaceuticals will be available to be printed on demand. While we're on the subject of food... There will be global food and water crises due to climate change. Most food will need to be bioengineered, and most drinking water will be from desalinization and reverse evaporation from the atmosphere. Growing automation will create mass unemployment, and the majority of jobs that are available will require computer programming. It's not all bad, though. As for our lifestyles, there will be a worldwide digital currency. Virtual or augmented realities will be available en masse with realistic surrogates or avatars. These surrogates can also be used to replicate people who have passed away, using their digital footprint to replicate their personality. 
There will be instantaneous universal translators, enabling real-time communication between any humans in their own tongues, and in some cases, even cross-species communication. We also won't be limited by our own planet. It is predicted that there will be many space colonies and a space tourism industry, as well as exploration and even mining on nearby asteroids. While the predictions that have been made seem scary, they are also incredibly exciting. It is only possible to really understand the possibilities of the future and to prevent possible disasters if we try to extrapolate the trends of scientific and technological achievement to imagine that the ludicrous, even magical, may seem achievable. an educator first, but also a disciplinarian and a humanitarian. You need the energy of youth and the wisdom of age. You have to be a mediator and above all, a friend. The more you think about the roles our teachers must play, the more you know they deserve our applause. Thanks for that, Scott. I couldn't agree with you more. Hey, Leapers, it's Hayden McQueenie here. Um, I'm actually a teacher. Uh, I teach mathematics. I'm an experienced tutor as well. I'm currently teaching engineering maths at RMIT University and doing a lot of private tutoring as well. I've recently started tutoring online. So if anybody in any year level, so primary, secondary or tertiary, needs any assistance with their mathematics, by all means, send me an email. Uh, my email is Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N, dot McQueenie, M-C-Q-U-E-N-I-E, at R-M-I-T dot E-D-U dot A-U. If you want to know a little bit about my qualifications, I have a Bachelor of Applied Science in Mathematics. I also have a Diploma of Education and a Master of Education. I've been teaching in secondary and tertiary schools for many years. And I'm also the numeracy curriculum developer at the Technology Institute of Victoria, as well as a five-time presenter at the Mathematical Association of Victoria Conference. So I'm pretty sure I can help you out with your maths. Send me an email and we'll discuss how I can help you out. So once again, that email is Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N dot McQueenie, M-C-Q-U-E-E-N-I-E at rmit.edu.au. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Hayden. That was very informative. <laughs> I love it. I Most genuine statement <laughs> said on We've this show. We've only been together once, and I already love it. <laughs> you, yeah. could, so, you, could say, you could say something like, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's getting edited. Yeah. <laughs> The Patreon version, the Patreon version. <laughs> the, the, these three people paid for it, and they're going to get it. We should we should put it on our Patreon. We should. Patreon.com slash T-O-T-O-B. Podcast. <laughs> Both. We're the best. Both. I'm the best. <laughs> Are you a magician? Yeah, duh. Favorite magician. Favorite magician? Go, of all oh, time. Easily. No, I got to think about it, actually. Now I really have to think about it. So I love David Blaine. I love up so close street magic. Uh, that's my favorite kind of magic. Okay, so Chris Angel's gimmick is stupid. I hate that I'm metal magician, 
but his illusions are on. But some target. of what he does isn't really like some like he sits corny. in a box for like a some week or something corny, like that. Like, is that David Blaine or Chris Angel? That's no, David Chris Blaine. Angel. I thought it was Chris no, Angel. The other David one. Blaine. David Blaine. Yeah. I thought it was the He's mind like, freak. Like, no. Oh yeah, maybe mind I think it was the stuff, mind freak. Right? David Blaine did the thing where he stood on top of the pole. For yeah, it's not magic. And a helicopter was supposed to like levitate him away, but it never came, so he just jumped off. Yeah, and he like sat in a fishbowl for a week or something. Yeah, I'm out on that. Okay, so let's say let's favorite favorite magician illusionist. I'm, I'm going to say David Blaine. Okay, it's probably my favorite. That's like fair. I really like the close up stuff. Like I think the thing that really got me with him was the time when the one of his first TV specials when he throws the pack of cards at the window and the card that the people picked sticks on the back side of the window. Mm-hmm. Like I've looked it up. I know how it works now, but still, still, rat. it's pretty amazing, like, right? And definitely the devil. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like you would when be he's that like guy. burning himself and yeah. He's like, I, I love David Blaine. I, is that I, your pick? I, I, exa- I, I love him exactly for the street magic. It's yeah. like the best when you're – and who knows if it's really like real people that are just kind of watching him or if they stage some of that. I don't yeah. know. But it seems it seems legit to me. And, and that's, <laughs> it's entertainment. Right. It right. is entertainment. And I, so it doesn't I do really matter that. if it's right. real or not? Okay. So to pull it into our world, your favorite magic-themed like themed film or like TV show or something like that. Me, uh, I have two. TV show is uh, Black's Magic with uh, Hal Linden. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the Barney Miller. He and there was one season where murder she wrote, but it was with the guy from Barney Miller, and he solved murders with magic. And I actually wow, own you're old. Black'sMagic.com and plan to do a podcast on it one day. <laughs> True story. Uh, Movie wise, The Escape Artist. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. That was really good. I don't think I have any favorite. It's like magic uh, early '90s mo- movie, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. I watched it like once a year. Huge fan of Lord of Illusions. Probably yes. one of my favorite movies, like revolving around magic. Even though it's like horror and stuff, mm-hmm. giant Clive Barker fan. So mm-hmm. like, just it was an amazing translation into like a film. I thought is Scott Bakula in that? I think so. I yeah. think he plays Valentine in mm-hmm. it. Heather, favorite magician? Or no, not Valentine. Dia Moore. Sorry, Dia Moore. I am probably going to get a lot of negative feedback for this but it, it, magic's not really my thing I, it. It, like it's not I, like I don't dislike it like I'll watch it if it's on but it's never been a thing that I sought out to watch like I think like the only magic based movie I've ever seen is like what the illusionist or whatever I mean like that's and mm-hmm. and as far as like I've seen David Blaine and Chris Angel but like if it's on somewhere and I don't change it like there's never really <laughs> been a there's never really been a time that I've wanted to watch it especially on tv like if there's a magic show or something especially with my daughter like watching her reaction to it but it's just not really my. i thing. like the guy who ruined magic oh the oh the, 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 the mask on, on who TV. ended up being no somebody nobody would ever heard of before yeah. mm-hmm. uh what was he's that called like magic's YouTube. greatest secrets yeah. revealed he i used to watch like that youtube a bunch of crap <laughs> it's like hey this is how they do this, this is stuff. how they do that yeah he get, usually he got, he got it right but not oh yeah yeah Death threats. Yeah, it was a. It was like wrestling back then. The magi- they threatened to make him disappear. Code. Yeah, well, you know they're taking a lot when you when you give away the magic <laughs> secrets and what what is what is there you know favorite movie magic trick when Joker makes that pin disappear. Oh yeah, that was funny. That was actually really good. Um, she doesn't like magicians, uh, which uh, I always thought magicians were cool my whole life, and I grew up wanting to be an illusionist. I did uh, three magic shows with huge audiences. It was a benefit show that I did for Goodwill. When I was like 16, and I had my nieces as uh, assistants and stuff. 
Um, but I always thought, wow, if I knew magic, I could get the girls. No. No. Girls don't like magic. No, they do not. They do not at all. They find you corny and obnoxious. Yes, and they're like, why are you wearing you that jacket? you usually are kind of arrogant I, fe- I feel like. You, yeah, I like, think you kind of have to be This is why you're stupid. Like, yeah. That's how chicks feel. That's how women feel when you say, this is why you're stupid. You know, no, it's just I'm trying to show you something cool. Uh, my favorite illusionist were, was like when I was really young was Doug Henning, you know, the hippie one. Yeah. But then as soon Kurt as – Henning's brother? Exactly. Uh, magic illusion. But when uh, when David Copperfield came out, I thought he was like the best ever. And I saw him in person. I don't know how many times got his autographed. I was like, I dressed like him for probably five years. Um, long sleeve black shirts and white t shirts, and then or the opposite. But everything had to be black or white. And uh, I don't know. Uh, David Copperfield is probably still my favorite magician. I did like Chris Angel until he did that reality show where they judge different kinds of magic. Oh yeah, that's- and he was just a dick to everybody. You know who else I really like is Darren Brown. Who's what does uh, he Darren do? Brown is a British like mentalist slash illusionist. He does a lot of like psychological tricks where he'll like um, set up a room and like basically convince you to think something. Like mentalism is cool to me, mm-hmm. like because it's oh. actual magic, like not it's quote unquote actual right. magic, but basically where you're playing into like somebody's psychology and like mm-hmm. leading them into telling you mm-hmm. the answer. No, I love that. I've done, number. I've done magic tricks like that. Different things like that. Like he does this thing. Do yourself a favor, look him up. And, uh, there's a video of him convincing Simon Pegg that he wants a BMX bike. <laughs> and it's like amazing because Simon Pegg is 100% sold. I want a BMX bike. And he's all, okay, so show me what you wrote down on the piece of paper like, you know, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he pulls it out and it says leather jacket. <laughs> and he's all, and Simon Pegg is so sold. He's like, what? I would never have written that down. I want a bike. I've always wanted a bike. Like, I mean, it's just I'll the way he like worms his way into your brain is fantastic. Pen and Teller. Those oh, are probably oh, my favorite. Yeah. And they're and not even friends. And Amazing no, Jonathan. No. Amazing Jonathan was always he's funny. He makes he was me really laugh. Funny. Yeah. Like, they don't hang out. That's that's what they, they've said that that's the reason that they've been able to stay together for so long mm-hmm. is they don't see each other except when they're doing their acts. They're really good. I don't know. I, I like everybody but Chris Angel and David Blaine. David Blaine, I don't. So basically don't, the guys I like, awesome. Well, well I, I don't dislike David segment? Blaine, but it's just. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. In this segment, author of Beyond the Mirror Image, The Observer's Guide to Quantum Leap, our friend Matt Dale talks a little about the inspiration behind the book, his journey, and the Quantum Leap timeline. My fascination with fictional timelines began in 1992 when I read the Star Trek chronology. This was the first time I'd read a really thorough presentation of a fictional universe laid out in a factual, documentary-style format. To say I was amazed was an understatement. I was conscious, even at a fairly early age, that TV universes were generally made up by myriad writers as they went along, with often little checking back and rarely planning ahead. I was under no illusion that Gene Roddenberry had sat down in 1963 and decided which year Jean-Luc Picard and his brother would fall out. And yet the writers of this book, Michael and Denise Akuda, had taken hundreds of hours of TV and film and managed to weave them together as a single, coherent story. I immersed myself in the book, to the point where I could watch an episode from the then 25-year history and know in my head what else was happening, which future characters were being born, getting married, passing away... At the same time, it certainly enriched that universe and gave it extra life. Now, the Akudas were very lucky. 
The writers of the Star Trek shows had carefully avoided referencing specific dates unless it was required for the plot lines, and, back in the days before Voyager and Enterprise, there were just a handful of time travel episodes. And the production order generally followed the chronological order, the fifth and sixth movies being the notable exceptions. So there was little complexity and lots of room for assumptions. Could such a book be attempted about a time travel franchise? Fast forward to 2013 and another influential book, Rich Handley's Back in Time, a chronology of the Back to the Future universe. Here the author was able to put into the written word a full timeline of a franchise that specialised in time travel, giving focus to the expanded universe beyond the films. However, Handley again had some benefits, namely that the majority of the BTTF universe, the cartoon series and the comics, simply involved the main characters popping into certain times and having a fun irreverent adventure. The true time-altering antics were limited to just three films, all of which were very carefully plotted out, albeit retrospectively on the part of the second and third, so as to avoid contradictions. Handley's job wasn't making sense of the universe, writers Zemeckis and Gale had already done that, but rather presenting it neatly. Which leads me to 2015, when I began work on my own reference guide, Beyond the Mirror Image. Intended to be the last word in Quantum Leap reference material, I was naturally excited by the opportunity to create a complete and glorious timeline of events, inspired by the fabulous work the Okudas and Handley had produced before. Just a couple of small problems. Like Star Trek, I was looking at nearly 100 hours of television that had been made up as it went along. Plus, I decided to include novels, comics, and even unproduced but licensed works. And like Back to the Future, the show focused on time travel. Every episode would provide a large number of data points which would generally, but not always, be consistent within the episode itself, but with the limitations of time when producing TV, pay little attention to other works within the QL canon. Even the novels and comics added extra complexity here. Many of these were written by fans. Fans, like me, were keen to resolve apparent inconsistencies. Many of the books, in particular, would try and find an excuse to look at contradictions A and B and try and solve them. One of the best novels, in fact, was entirely based on such a premise. More on that in a moment. This was fine, except in some cases I was aware of further contradiction C, and the solution would sometimes make things worse by focusing on A and B and forgetting C. The freedom the Akudas had when writing the Star Trek chronology suddenly was not afforded to me, because of my decision to include these fan-written but official works, which solve matters in particular ways that I might not have agreed with. Despite all this, I came to a conclusion. Mostly by sheer luck, the Quantum Leap universe hangs together amazingly well. It was extremely rare that I would have to hand-wave away any facts, and it was generally possible to put everything into one mix. There are, however, some exceptions, and here I'd like to present just a few favourites. John Beckett's death. In Genesis, we learn that Sam's father died in 1974, after which his widow Thelma moved to Hawaii to be with Katie and her second husband. In Kamikaze Kid, we learn that Katie's first marriage occurred when she was 17, and The Leap Home gives her birthday to 1957, which means this first marriage was also in 1974. She must have got through two marriages in one year. But more than that, The Leap Home gives a new date for John's death of 1972, two years before the move to Hawaii with hubby number two. The novel Knights of the Morning Star deals with this a little by explaining that Thelma lived by herself for two years before moving to Hawaii. We can therefore use this new breathing room to accept almost every fact here as correct. Katie marries in 1974, and again soon after, perhaps 1975. John also dies in 1974, 
per Genesis rather than the Leap Home's 1972, and Thelma then moves to Hawaii in 1976. The Leap Home date of John's death in 1972 simply can't be made to fit with other established facts, even allowing for ripples in the timeline, unless one such ripple changes Katie's birth date. Sam goes to college. In Animal Frat, Al claims Sam was 16 when he went to MIT. Sam turned 16 in August 1969, but we see in the Leap Home that in November 1969, he was still at high school. Perhaps he started MIT in the fall of 1970, and began some work towards MIT prior to his birthday in August. Perhaps Al was off by a year in Animal Frat. Knights of the Morning Star further confuses things by suggesting he skipped some early school years, which gives the opportunity for him to have left for college even earlier than the events of The Leap Home. And, in a 1996 Quantum Leap marathon on the Sci-Fi Channel, Bakula even explained that Sam was in MIT at age 15. Al's repatriation from Vietnam. In MIA, Al says that he's repatriated in 1973. However, in The Leap Home Part 2, this is redated to 1975. The novel Pulitzer explains that the release of Maggie's prize-winning photo of him caused the Vietnamese to change the location he was held in, preventing his rescue in 1973 and changing the timeline by the point that Al makes the second comment. Sammy Joe. Well, fortunately, the Bold Leap Forward spin-off series proposed in 2003 never came to pass, as it featured Sammy Joe Fuller as a teenager in the 21st century, despite Trilogy Part 3 establishing her birth as 1967. Would this have been addressed? Who knows? Finally, if you want to know the date of Sam's first leap, the only place it's formalised is in Mirror's Edge, which places it four years, eight months, and twelve days prior to the main events of that novel, making it April 14th, 1995. The novel Prelude states that it's a Friday, which lines up with this, and while the author's introduction to Angels Unaware puts forward a theory that it was May 16th, the author then does not use this date for the body of the book. So, April 14th it is. Thanks to Mirror's Edge author Carol Davis for sorting that one. Keeping track of Quantum Leap's multiple timelines, it's been one heck of a journey. Break a leg. You know, I was going to tell you guys a bit more about term definitions and historical context and all that, which sounds boring. Really, wouldn't have been, take my word. But, as this is the episode about magic, what better time to introduce you guys to the magic if. After all, you gotta believe it. So they can believe it, right? But, you say, it's not happening right now. It's not real. Are you mad? What are you talking about? I'm not in outer space or whatever. Um, you know what? You'd be absolutely right. There will be a level of duality. Even the audience will always feel that even to a little degree. More about that at another time. So in a way, you will be inhabiting two realities at once, which can take any number of shapes. And some will work for you and others not. And as they say, it isn't an exact science. And at the same time, you also have to be aware of what's real. You know, you don't want to fall off the stage, bump into a mic, or knock over one of the extras or so. It's not something you're looking for. So for the other reason... And that, you want to be aware of the reality. And there's another, even more important reason you might not suspect, but here you go. Your brain isn't silly either, and it will call you bluff. If you try to 100% do the absolutely last iota, deny the truth, be totally only in your imaginary world. (laughs) 
it'll trip you up. Just just trust me on this. May wish to argue. Fair enough. But my standpoint is you really don't want a brain shortcut and it really doesn't look that well on screen either. So what to do? Well, there are ways to integrate what's going on around you, even things that annoy you. Now, some of you might remember, it's been a few years back, I don't know when, but there was this pretty famous rant by Christian Bale. No disrespect to him, he knows his stuff, so he's not a negative example, but it is a good example for something distracting you, especially when a really difficult scene is going on, right? What can you do? Well, you can admit this truth, you can integrate this reality into this world, and if you're annoyed, and you have to be annoyed in character, hey, you're in luck. If you're annoyed and you need anything similar, you can turn this annoyance to what you need to a degree. Now, admittedly, this technique has its limits, but here you go. Stay aware of what's going on. You can use it as fuel. Magic if, yes, but now you also have something pretty good to help you out when you're in trouble, the magic truth, if you will. You're going to need that one too. In fact, the more honest you are with yourself in acting, the better everything is going to work. Including, I'm just standing here being about the worst excuse for an actor that has ever crawled around in this can of worms. This is ridiculous. I'm just messing up the scene for everyone. That can create the best, most honest, awesome moment you can imagine. Stick with it. Anyway, that's later. That's medium advanced stuff. For now, take a look at those two realities. Two. Well, if you think that's tough, you can get one worse because you may, might end up in an acting class imagining you're in a television studio. You know, it's an exercise to not knock into set mics and cameras and so on. At the same time, imagining you're in the reality of the scene. <laughs> and we thought Al had it tough being in two places at once. <laughs> you know, even that, you may have to take a look at how your own brain works. As we know by now, the brain is a lot more malleable than we ever suggested, than was ever suggested, uh, than perhaps by yoga gurus and such like, who are, people found a little bit crazy because of it. No, the brain changes a lot. And so your approach will always have to change. And with the magic if, you simply have to test out how your own mind responds and learn how to communicate with yourself. And you know what? I haven't even 100% told you how that's going to work. It's really that easy. I am here in this room, sitting on my chair, looking at a boring old wall in this case. What if there was an arrow flying through the air right now? <laughs> Doesn't work, does it? In my case. Unless you really think like, oh, okay, whoa, oh, sorry. <laughs> I just hit the floor right now. It happened to work. <laughs> but didn't really do anything. I mean, I got out of the way, but that's it. Next one. See, my brain called the bluff, even with that this one. Now, my analytic brain, liking to punch holes into all my imaginary stories. Uh, how about, what if you're wrong? What if you got the impulse that, well, I'm here, you're crazy, stay put. This is going to be silly. But what if you're whoa, wrong? <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, that was a bit more scary. <laughs> There you go. So, <laughs> magic if application and a little bit of um, stunt practice on the side. I guess you're entertained for now. I got another tip for you, though. No, I'm not going to leave you just now because this is important. You got to know that one. Talk about magic. 
There is one magic for you. For everybody out in acting and all kind of collaborative work. In this case, you've seen partners. Cherish them. Honor them. Take a leaf out of Scott Bakula's book because they're precious. You hold on to them. They hold on to you. You focus on helping each other out and pretty much forget yourself. Assuming you've done your prep on even then, they can often help you out. Let's just say that's where the real synergy is. And that's where the magic action begins. <laughs> and they'll knock everyone off their socks and come back for more. That's where the love comes in, guys. Thus spoke your Bavarian Barbarian. Hayden, do you have any news for us? Hey, Albie, I definitely have some news for you. Um, it's probably the most exciting news we've gotten for a while. It was found out at a recent Comic-Con that uh, Don Belisario has recently completed a new Quantum Leap movie script. We're not, we don't know much about it, only that he's written it and that he had Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell in mind when he was writing it. We don't know if it's meant to be a reboot of the original series or a continuation of the original series, but whatever happens, we definitely want to see it. And it's exciting, isn't it? Zoe, what do you think about that? I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I don't know if Dean will be a part of it. And if that is the case, if he's not a part of it, I don't even know if it will happen. But if they can get it off the ground, I'm in. <laughs> You're in touch with Deborah Pratt, who's um, been keeping track of um, how Dean is. Mm -hmm. what, what's she been saying about him? Well, um, I actually heard back from her after months of not hearing from her um, just on Wednesday of last week. In March, Dean went to New Zealand to visit his daughter, Sophia, and he dropped off the face of the planet. Um, she says that she hasn't heard from him since he left for New Zealand and he has not returned. He hasn't kept in touch since then. We haven't really heard anything from him at that point, from that point from when he went to New Zealand. We do know he's keen to do a movie, though, don't we? Yes, because last summer he said that he was ready to do the Quantum Leap movie, and that was even before it was written. So I know that he's in if he's able to come and do it, if he comes back awesome. to the U.S. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's a beautiful country. Yeah. Hey, I don't blame him if he doesn't want to come home. <laughs> yeah, he, he did a lot of work. He worked since he was a little kid. He, he might just, uh, he earned it some time off to retire, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. and if he wants to retire to New Zealand, more power to him. <laughs> I would, too. <laughs> I would, too. That might be a plan. I've been yeah. to New Zealand. By a ferry? What's it? No, no, I went by plane. I actually, uh, this was when I was about uh, nine years old, and I won a part in a Wheat Bix commercial. Wheat Bix is uh, a, a famous breakfast cereal we've got over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, for some reason they filmed it in New Zealand, so I got a free trip to New Zealand. <laughs> is that on YouTube? Yeah. Very it's, nice. It, it is actually. I'll uh, we'll oh have to gosh. I'll <laughs> have to find it and send it to you. Yeah, that, that's going in the show notes. Hayden babies. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to see if you can find me. All right, I'm sure I can. I was just saying, I went to college with a girl from New Zealand. It's a, it's a beautiful country, and it's almost a continent, right? <laughs> it's definitely not a continent. It's like an island. <laughs> Yeah, it's two islands. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> Australia is the continent. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and let's, oh. just say, let's just say I went over there and it was like being in Australia just without any gum trees. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> so I was thinking what we should do is um, maybe throw around some ideas on what we can do as fans um, to try and help this movie get off the ground. I mean, let's face it, um, Dean Stockwell's not going to be around forever, so the sooner that it can yeah, be done, I the better. I know, it's horrible, I know, but uh, yeah, but yeah, we've got to be realistic as well. Mm. Yeah, so so what do you think, as fans, um, we can do to try and help this movie get off the ground? Well, I think definitely lobby the the studios. I mean, that's what Deborah said last year. Start lobbying the studios. Let them know that this is something that's wanted because if the studios don't have feedback, they're just going to think, oh, nobody cares. So we have to be, we have to make a noise. That's the only way we're going to be able to get it off the ground. Absolutely. The other thing I was thinking too, um, have either of you seen the Veronica Mars movie? Yes. No. Oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> finally, <laughs> well, fu- <laughs> it's not bad. A long it's time bad. ago, we used to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're still not friends, Albie. Nice. <laughs> haven't yeah. thought of you lately. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. but uh, it might surprise you that um, a great deal of the funding for that was actually crowdfunded. On crowdfunding. Very yeah. interesting. So, so maybe it's possible that we can get all the fans together. We know that there are people who want Quantum Leap back. It's st- still got a huge cult following. So mm-hmm. maybe we could try and organize a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign, um, even if we don't even know what we're going to do with the money once we've got it. But uh, if yeah. we've got it and it's there, then it at least shows the, the studios that, hey, people want this mm-hmm. and we're yeah. willing to put our, put our money where our mouth is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can at least, you know, we can do our homework, too, and find out where it needs to go to get the production in gear and, you know. Absolutely. And the other thing, too, is uh, we all know that everyone who's worked on the show loves the show, loves the fans, and wants it to keep going. I'm sure that we can convince them to, um, to, you know, put some little incentives up for us to, to bid on as well, so... Like they did yeah. with the Veronica Mars movie, they they mm-hmm. they did things like having the having the stars do some autographs and some photos and video messages for people who um, donated some money to them. So yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, for it to be successful, I would think you would have to have probably Don involved with it, or or you know like willing to actually do it if the, he gets to a certain amount of money, he thinks he needs to make it happen. I'm I know Deborah would like to see it happen. I think she told us uh, last time we talked to her on the phone about um, uh, her idea for a Sammy Joe movie. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be really good. Yeah. Tell her if she's but looking speak. for an actress, I want the part. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you look like you could be Scott's daughter, I think. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like, yeah. bone structure, nose, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're the leading good. lady. Yeah, an ingenue. <laughs> I'm but speaking, yes, I like that word. But speaking of Don, um, Albie, you're the friend of the Don. Uh, maybe you could get in contact with him and uh, find out, first of all, some more information about this script that he's written and also um, what um, you think or what he thinks we should do to proceed. Absolutely. Yeah, I, can get, I, can get a, I can get a letter to him if we write one up and uh, ask him if he wants anything like that. And if he gives us a go-ahead, then, of course, full, full speed ahead. He's an awesome guy. Uh, I think uh, 
that day I spoke to him for almost an hour. I know the interview was only about a half hour long because there was a lot of stuff going on and we talked about other stuff. And, uh, I just uh, know him to be a really genuine, nice person. And I, uh, he's a good guy. Awesome. Okay. Hey, Don, if you can if get him li- on the Dean's list, please. <laughs> Let me know. Okay. Don, if you're listening, please contact us. We'd like some more information and we'd like to help you. <laughs> yes. Mr. Belisario, if you've gotten an hour three and a half of this podcast, please call Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> please, Uncle Don. Yes. <laughs> do it for Al. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any more Quantum Leap news, Hayden? No. <laughs> okay. For uh, As far as QLP news, I'd like to say thank you to everyone that uh, won donated to helping uh, Heather and me and Serenity escape Hurricane Irma. And uh, all those generous donations were very well appreciated. And thank you guys, the whole QLP crew, for getting together and doing a fundraiser with that um, audio commentary for Hurricane. It really helped. Uh, We, like many uh, families in the United States, we... Any one crisis that happens, which is we had to escape, you know, uh, the hurricane, it was coming right up Florida. So we had to get out of Florida, which is a very long state. And um, we only, you know, had a few extra hundred dollars than uh, what our bills were and everything. Uh, So halfway to where we were going, which was Indiana to Heather's dad, because that's the first place we were invited. We pretty much ran out of money. So at that moment, uh, those donations started coming in. And we were able to make it to Juan's house in Colorado because the hurricane decided to come towards Indiana. So that was crazy. And uh, at home, the house was without power for over two weeks. So we basically couldn't go home because both Heather and I work online and there was no uh, power for two weeks and no internet for three weeks. So luckily, uh, Juan was able to uh, invite us into his home in Colorado with uh, his wife and two children. And we had a great time. We recorded uh, the first part of this podcast, The Great Spontini, with that. But there were times where uh, literally we were uh, driving and the gas light was on and neither one of us had money. Heather was waiting to get paid and I get paid monthly. So unless it's the fifth of of the month, you know, I'm not rich. Uh, We were hungry and we just got a donation and we were able to put gas in the car and we were able to eat dinner that night. And uh, without the QLP fans, we wouldn't have made it. And I really appreciate it. And I say thank you to all of you. Uh, You're welcome, Alvi. We love you and we love Heather and we love Serenity. And uh, anytime you need help, please let us know. Thank you. I hopefully, second that motion. Hopefully never again. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> but uh, with uh, this great community and all, all the listeners and all the people that I consider friends, I, I it, we really did make it and we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, did you do a trivia segment? Uh, Hayden, do you have any trivia? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I've got to open up the phone. <laughs> See, that's my part. I just asked the question. Oh, no, you're, you're lucky. Um Albie, once again, I've gotten most of this trivia from um, Beyond the Mirror Image. Um, it is available for sale still, um, not on the Kickstarter, but on uh, the on Matt's website. We've got links for that on the page. Uh, but yeah, there is quite a bit of trivia. Uh, let's have a look. Al is an expert at picking locks, and Sam isn't bad at it either. I guess that Al learnt that from all his time when he was on the um, on the road and after he'd run away from the orphanage. So, yeah, once again, Al knows everything, but in this case, um, I think there's a reason for it. <laughs> <laughs> Misspent youth, let's say. Yeah. Um, now, the French title of this episode translates to When Harry Met Maggie, 
which is based on the 1989 comedy When Harry Met Sally. Little known fact, my favorite film ever. Awesome. Well, until they make the Quantum Leap film. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, Jamie jokes about Bill Bixby playing the Incredible Hulk, which, of course, he would from 1977. So a bit of uh, funny foreshadowing there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jamie says that Harry and herself have an audition for the TV show The Magician coming up, but this show aired its last episode on April 15th, 1974, which is nearly a month prior to the events of The Great Spontini, and it was never renewed. Huh, I wonder if uh, they thought they were going to make a new season. I'm trying to think in-universe here. If they thought they were going to make a new season of it but didn't, or uh, or that they were just, uh, that Jamie and her dad were just operating on the wrong information maybe uh i i think it was probably just the writers didn't do their homework <laughs> <laughs> i try to i try to figure it out you know it was close enough yeah. like but that's it. it it was close yeah there's all you know how how long did we have plans for quantum leap after it uh, was cancelled exactly so we still do and it's 27 years later or something so. mm-hmm. <laughs> um now all three times that we hear al enter the imaging chamber the door only opens, never closes. And when he surprises Sam in the trailer, the relocation sound effects plays, suggesting he's been somewhere else. Hmm. Where has he been? Where has he been? Do you have any uh, guesses on that? Um, Maggie's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in his character. Um, now, Al says Sharon is his third wife when it's already been established that she's his fourth and Ruthie, whom he learnt the ways of Judaism from, is his third. But it's well known that Al gets his wives mixed up, so I can forgive that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, that's a good running joke that he gets his wives mixed up, but can you, can you imagine getting your wives mixed up when you spend like years with each of them? I know. Um, uh, we also have this funny idea in the fandom. Heather, keep your ears closed. There's spoilers that uh, once history is reset and he ends up back with Beth, um, that uh, he'll have the same problem mixing up his four daughters instead of his <laughs> five, four, five. <laughs> that I could imagine. That I could imagine. Yeah. Um, now, Dan Birch, who played Harry Spontini in the Mirror Shots, has a great look for a magician, which isn't surprising since he's an accomplished magician in real life. And he advised on creating the magic aspects of the episode. And uh, you had an interview with him, didn't you? I did. A great guy. We had fun talking about magic. I teach I teach Serenity a lot of magic tricks, and she, she likes that too. But uh, yeah, we had a good talk about magic, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Yeah, and uh, Dan Birch is also the brother of Universal's Director of Business Affairs, Cheryl Birch. And Cheryl Birch had a character named after her in Miss Deep South. I think she was the one who wanted to be uh, the professional secretary and have many children, wasn't she? <laughs> That's funny. Yes, yes. How about that? Full yeah. circle. Full circle. That's it. When Sam is putting on the light blue polo neck in the mirror, an inventive way of swapping the actors out is used. With Bacula's arm coming into frame first, then replacing Dan Birch entirely during a camera move. There's only a slight flaw. Birch's arm seems a little disembodied as Bacula's right hand pours aftershave into Birch's left. But other than that, it almost just looked seamless. Wow, like, like magic. You wouldn't, yeah, almost like magic. 
I'll have to watch that again. I didn't notice that. I didn't notice the like disembodied hand feeling. So I'm going to watch that one more time. I usually do after after I learn the trivia. I, I go one back one more time, a sixth or seventh view. Jamie says smooth move, X-Lax. Although X-Lax, which stands for excellent laxative, was around in 1974, the full phrase didn't originate until the 1980s. So maybe Jamie's the one who invented it. Could be. She was a yeah. pretty cool kid. Now, Maggie doesn't seem to wonder how Sam suddenly knows in the middle of the court session that Jamie is in trouble. While this is passed off as Maggie's motherly instincts taking over to check that Jamie actually is all right, later on, it's never questioned. In fact, the situation worked in Sam's favor, with Maggie hypothesizing that it was due to the bond that Harry and Jamie have, thereby coming to the conclusion that they shouldn't be separated and helping her to make the decision to withdraw her petition for full custody. Now, that's very lucky for Sam and Harry, as it just as easily could have gone the other way. I actually agree with Steve Slater when uh, he makes his very good point about the unsafe conditions Jamie had been living in. And also, no magician in their right mind would build a device that relies entirely on lockpicking to survive without also having a failsafe to prevent the spikes coming down if there's still weight on the table. So Absolutely. I think there's, there's quite a lot of criminal negligence going on there, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one, no one, no good magician, let's put it that way, designs a magic yeah. trick that could actually kill you. Yeah. But it worked out because magic. Yeah, because magic. Hand wavy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> now, after two seasons of hitting it around a lot, Al finally breaks the original hand link and thus has to use a new one, which is later nicknamed the gummy bear design after he referred to it as a rotten pile of gummy bears in the leap back. However, the gummy bear handling had appeared in the past three episodes without explanation, as the Great Spontini had been intended for broadcast earlier in the season. Uh, production designer Cameron Burney explained that it finally achieved what Belisario wants. Dean Stockwell, however, was not a fan of the new design, saying he wanted his old handling back. Huh. I like the gummy bear one better, I think. Okay. Uh, I love the gummy bear one, but I can see where Dean Stockwell was coming from. It does not look comfortable. No, but what, what's uh, pain? Beauty is pain, right? That's it. <laughs> pain is beauty. Pain is beauty. <laughs> um, I noticed uh, on one of Tom Quinn's posts, I think we shared it on the Quantum Leap uh, Facebook page, uh, there was uh, uh, a gummy bear hand link made out of uh, Lego. Looks pretty cool. How cool is that? I'd buy that. Yeah, me too. I'd buy the kit. Come on, Lego. Build the Quantum Leap hand link kit. <laughs> Make a Ziggy kit as well. <laughs> <laughs> There's thousands of us out here that would totally buy that. Exactly. All right. Um, now, further evidence that production for the episode had been much earlier in the season than broadcast would suggest includes Robert Walterstaff returning as supervising producer, despite having left the previous episode, and technical advisor Rich Whiteside making his first appearance on set during this episode prior to preparing for work on The Leap Home Part 2 Vietnam. On a side note, he was very impressed by Dean Stockwell's good nature in the face of childish pranks by the crew. It must have been so much fun to work on there. Yeah. I would have loved uh, to have seen some of the things Dean did to Scott <laughs> behind the scenes. <laughs> and some of the things that Scott did to Dean. I, I heard tell about yep. uh, the stripper being brought in and Dean being very, very shy. It's about the only <laughs> thing that it's about the only thing that he and Al aren't alike with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also heard tell about a massive prank with cream pies as well. So we'll have to. <laughs> 
I'll have to dig through my uh, Leap Back DVDs because I'm sure that's where I heard about it. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. Now, Sam leapt out of the Watts riots in a terrible state, but is healed up for the episode. So does this mean he exists in a limbo state where he can rest and recuperate between the leaps? It would explain his inconsistently growing hair. I have a guess on that. You know, uh, well, I, I know you don't watch Star Trek a lot, Hayden, but uh, uh, the transporter uh, can sometimes fix things. And maybe it's like a transporter where he gets dematerialized and rematerialized and maybe it goes by a healthier previous pattern that was in the buffer or something. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the idea of Limbo slightly better, though, just because of an upcoming episode, about five episodes away, something like that. Um, which was it? Eight and a half months. Uh, because uh, we know that the baby can't exist inside Sam, and we also know that uh, the baby didn't leap um, with Billie Jean um, because Al said she was empty when they checked. So um, where'd the baby go? It must have gone to limbo and stayed safe. Mm. There will be a lot of uh, discussion on that when we get there in 2020. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we'll get there a bit, but bit before yeah. that. <laughs> in the meantime, I'll try to get pregnant just to see if it'll work. Oh, good idea. Good <laughs> idea. <laughs> and if not, you'll still have fun trying. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, that's all the trivia. Zoe, are you excited for the next episode of Quantum Leap, Rebel Without a Clue? I certainly am. It's one of, it's, I wouldn't say that it's my favorite, favorite one, but it's one that I've gone back and watched more than once and been like, ooh, this one's different. I definitely like the biker aspect of the whole thing. Um, And that bit in the middle of the episode where they had Jack Kerouac coming in and saving the day was kind of cool. <laughs> do you like bikers? Do you like bad boys? Um, bad boys, not necessarily, but I do like that whole look of the 1950s biker, like the James Dean mm. kind of look that they had. Those jackets were hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It shows I'll... how hard uh, Scott Bakula was willing to work as well, because uh, Diamond Farnsworth said that uh, Scott Bacular had never been on a bike before, and he was riding it like a pro after just half an hour. So wow. he's up for anything, and he can do anything. Agreed. And he learns quick, too. That's that's neat. I loved seeing all the old bikes. I'm like Al. I was uh, definitely very turned on when I was looking at the bikes. <laughs> Ruling over the machinery, yes. <laughs> Leaping around in time, I've assumed many characters, but this was my first leap back as a dirt ball. Shane Funnybone Thomas, that's your name. I'm a biker, Al. It's September 1st, 1958, and you're somewhere about a, an hour south of Big Sur, California. I'm riding with Dylan. Now I'm as free as he is. She's not my problem, man. Well, no, yeah, she is. Why? When did every kid become my problem? You wrote that book. Hey, dang it. That bike belongs to his son. Who's dead? You don't know that. Hey, I was over there, okay? I saw guys blown apart around me, all right? So don't you talk to me about it. Stop it. Come on, baby, let's play, huh? You're drunk. 
This sleep has not been a whole heck of a lot of fun. here to prevent a murder. I'm looking forward to this episode, too, because uh, I don't know if I told you guys yet, but I haven't never seen this episode yet. What? Really? I must have missed it uh, on the debut and in syndication, and I didn't skip ahead because I, I went to skip ahead, and I saw that I hadn't seen it, and I was like... <sighs> I'm going to wait. That'll be cool. It'll be interesting to see an episode I've never seen before. I can't hey. believe you've never seen it before. Me neither. I you, know. And I you'd that think that um, because they show the leap of him leaping in with the motorbike in um, the opening um, theme song mm-hmm. in the later seasons that you'd go back and find it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I just, I just, I don't know. I just never thought of it. And then I started watching it and I was like, wow, I haven't seen this one. Pause, stop. So we'll see. It'll be fun. Uh, next time, it'll be my first time watching Rebel Without a Clue. Awesome. Uh, so so uh, we're popping your Quantum Leap cherry for once. <laughs> for once, yeah. There's that one episode I did not see, as far as I know. Uh, should I watch Rebel Without a Cause first or no? D- does it matter? No, I don't yeah. think it matters. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll do that. Well, with that, I'd like to say thank you again to all the listeners that helped Heather, Serenity, and I escape the hurricane and get back safe and sound uh it wouldn't have happened without you and i greatly appreciate it and uh juan gabe tell us all about what you got going on uh it's the easiest thing in the world to do you can go to our website which is at www.totlb.com you can find all our different social medias uh the easiest way to get a hold of us probably is facebook.com slash thinking outside the long box instagram or twitter at outside long box or you can shoot us an email at outside the long box at gmail.com and of course you can call the michael kirk memorial hotline what's that again nine seven zero five seven three six one four eight and of course if you rest in peace very sad uh and of course if you want to support us you can find us at patreon.com slash totlb uh check out our show it's really funny if you enjoyed our skewed sense of humor on this episode you will enjoy the 69 episodes yeah buddy they're four hours but you can get over it yeah you'll be fine yeah, if they got fine. this far in this episode they're yeah, okay yeah, with four yeah. hours and yeah. like legitimately like we do a lot of jerking around and acting like it, but we also have a lot of really great interviews on our show so Check it out, www.totlb.com. It's basically the best podcast you could ever listen to. Ever. I mean, it's the Monday. It's the Monday Night Raw of Baron Space Productions. It is the Monday Night Raw. It's the flagship. Yeah. Like, we really should have Corey Graves open the show. (laughs) You you totally could. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. And I'm Hayden. And I'm Zoe. I'm Juan. I'm Gabe. I'm the kid eating spaghetti. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Albie and Heather, with contributions from Hayden McQueenie, Jesse Newman, and Christopher DeFilippis. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com and look for us on Facebook. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison Pregler, and Christopher DeFilippis, with voice talent provided by Juan Muro, Hayden McQueenie, Suzanne Smiley, Christopher DeFilippis, and Peter Vonasak. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. 
The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. Recording. Juan, say something. Check. Check, check, check. Check it, check. Hey, Chester. Today on Thinking Outside the Long Box podcast. I like that. That's very quiet. So me, me and Gabe are on the same channel. About. Heather, say something. Hi. So you and Heather are on the same channel. Are you okay with that? I don't give a <laughs> What does that mean? Does that, like, is that something? That, well, we have that, right and left. There's only two, and there's four of us. So two of us are sharing a right, and two of us are sharing yeah. a no. It just it depends on who's going to talk over each other. So yeah. if two of us on the same channel talk over each other, he can't cut it out. But I think that's so okay. If, the way if it's like, you and I talk over each other, he can separate it. Like, so basically, every time Albie talks, I should interrupt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> To make it so no, but I mean, it out. no, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is when I sneak my, my F bombs. <laughs> okay, do you have your notes and such? I don't really have notes. Okay. You got your notes <laughs> up here, baby. All right, all right. This will be I, to- I totally didn't watch this stone out of my mouth. <laughs> all right, um, I told her yesterday, I was like, just take drunken notes. <laughs> I was you- like, I don't even know. I don't need to well I don't need to watch it three times either like no, normally she, I could just yeah. watch it once and then he'll be like but we're gonna watch Why it again are we recording oh it is oh this is recording yeah okay. it is recording. yeah but so, none of this happens in the episode you know how might, he is but it might no, be. I don't I, oh, I Albie later. will edit the yeah none of this there. makes the episode yeah. okay well this needs to make the episode <laughs> okay this, <laughs> this will be the episode so you know you told me what episode is gonna be mm-hmm. what, uh, Spontini Spontini thanks. Spontini <laughs> So <laughs> we're off the rails <laughs> so, already. So you told me what episode it was, right? right? Episode thirty-eight. This is us. Yeah, and you say, <laughs> you say, you know, it's this episode. Blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Watch it three times, mm-hmm. and I text you back <laughs> immediately. You dropped an f bomb uh, already. <laughs> I did. Immediately, I texted you back. Why do I need to watch it three times? No response <laughs> for two days. And then you're like, you ready to record? I was all. Why do I need to watch it? <laughs> you never answered my question for two days ago. You can't leave me hanging so like that. So you watched it once, though. I did watch you it You know what's funny is that I told him this story, and he still didn't answer you. I know. Yeah, like, <laughs> so I assume – so he told me we, we watched it Juan. Once. You can't so, point. He, Juan. And thank you. Juan. The other he. Uh <laughs> Not me. Not, not Heather, who's a she. I, I don't know. I mean, that. I don't want to. We're assume. not trying to assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't. You she didn't inspect. She might have a bigger piece lift, than I do. Who tail. knows? You know. oh, oh, I assume as much. <laughs> 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 <This is my laughs> stink. <laughs> but uh, no. So you watch one for enjoyment, right? Two for notes. Yeah, two for notes, and then three for like anything you might have missed. And we That's put the subtitles on the third time. Uh, zero point zero zero. No, I mean like seriously. What was seriously your in, in high school? school? Yeah, oh, you dropped because I only yeah I went once a month until I was legally able Were to you drop out. School? No, no, I just didn't go. <laughs> oh, no, just... he didn't. He didn't like that the buses weren't air conditioned. Yeah, it was really hot in Florida. <laughs> And the buses came way too early, and they were way too hot. So I was like, "I'm out." No, it's still really hot. In Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Florida sounds like like a festering well, boil yeah. to me. Like it yeah. seems like it, we're evacuees. Live there. No, no, you're joking, right? No. 
<laughs> Ashton, don't follow, follow Abby's life example. No, you don't want to do that. Also, don't follow my life example. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like really, honestly, these just, are, just try to live like Juan. Get these are ways not to live. Make yes. some money. Yes, I tried to be Juan. It didn't work out. I'm going to try again soon. Don't worry. You'll get there. Okay, so what I normally say is, you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 38, The Great Spontini. But I want you to say it in your live from Juan's basement. <laughs> yeah. This is Juan, John, and Gabe. And do Sold. <laughs>